Listen, you smell something? Human emotions are materializing in the form of a viscous psychoreactive plasm with explosive supernormal potential. What a discovery, a psychoreactive substance. Do you know what this equipment is used for? Boggle or Super Mario Brothers? We'll have fun! Yeah! Yes, you're doing it. Really, quite good work there. My friend, don't be a jerk. We've got no choice. Call a Ghostbuster. Super Jackpot! Welcome to Extraplasm Podcast. It's the only podcast on the internet that's currently trying to trade Ghostbusters collectibles, autographs, and retired merchandise to major airlines to book cross-country airfare. I'm your host, Jim Maritato, aka Vic Maniac on the internet, and I'm excited to be bringing you another new episode of Extraplasm with a brand new guest. Joining us this week on the podcast is David Miyakawa, who is a graphic designer for Ripple Junction. And Ripple Junction is an apparel company that you may know as a producer of licensed Ghostbusters merchandise, including t-shirts, shorts, pajama pants, socks, and way more. David joins us this episode to talk with us about the new Frozen Empire line of designs that Ripple Junction is unveiling literally today as the podcast drops, along with a promotion where you can win some Ghostbusters apparel and perhaps save some money on some Ghostbusters t-shirts that are being released uh, for the upcoming movie. Plus, we talk about the process of designing apparel in partnership with Sony and Ghost Core, different designs that David's worked on that you might have in your closet, um, thoughts on Frozen Empire and its related merchandise, and to be honest, a whole lot more. I had a blast chatting with David, and to be clear, you might think that I just got to talk with like a PR representative from a t-shirt company this week, but no, uh, David is just as much of a Ghostbusters fan and a regular listener to Extraplasm, uh, who actually reached out after being surprised at hearing us talk about the sweaters that he worked on uh, this past winter. Uh, so if you recall me talking about some really cool sweaters that I thought were awesome and that everybody should go out and get, it turned out that the person who makes those is one of us and was in our midst. So it was a real treat to be able to connect with a person in our community who's been making so many of the awesome things that I have in my closet and my dresser drawers and who I'd otherwise never have met. Uh, and moreover, to bring that fun and informative conversation to you all this week. I mean, this is part of what Extraplasm is all about, is getting to tell the stories of folks who create and work on the things that we love and think are great. Great. Uh, you know, and also who are doing stuff like charitable work, etc. And so uh, this was a really fun conversation to have. So we're going to get into that in a few moments. But before we do, we need to talk about some pretty pressing Ghostbusters headlines. Still making headlines all across the country. The Ghostbusters are at it again. Today, the entire eastern seaboard is alive with talk of incidents of paranormal activity. All in topic today, ghosts and ghostbusting. Extra plasm. Read all about it. Ghostbusters headlines coming at you. To start off Ghostbusters headlines this week, we need to talk about Ghostbusters Frozen Empire. And in particular, we need to talk about uh, probably the biggest story of the week, which is uh, premiere information and invitations. <laughs> so there was a post that came out on the 23rd via Ghost Course Facebook post that explained that there were a limited number of screening tickets for the premiere in New York City uh, and advising folks to submit their information to frozenempirenyc at gmail.com if they would be in New York on the date of the premiere on March 14th and would like to try and attend. Uh, it was made very clear that there were a very limited number of these tickets and it was you know, pretty obvious that not everyone who would put in would get to go, but they would be randomly selecting uh, some folks to be able to attend the premiere. And then in comments to that post, Ghost Corps 
Additionally explained that there would be a celebratory screening in the United Kingdom as well during the week of the 18th uh, for cast and crew and that some fans would be able to attend that as well in a limited fashion, uh, meaning not everybody who wants to go, but they would be doing a drawing for that as well. And they informed fans that they should send an email to the same email address, frozenempirenyc at gmail.com and put the word UK in the subject line if they wanted to try to attend the UK premiere. Now, as of yesterday, uh, the 27th of February, as per another update on Facebook, as well as an email I may have received, uh, Ghost Core has announced who is received invites. Uh, the post that they've made, or rather the comment that they've made to their own post on Facebook says, New York invites have gone out. We will continue to send out invites as space becomes available. Again, space is extremely limited at this event, and we had a record number of fans email the interest list. United Kingdom invites will be going out separately next week once more details are available. We appreciate everyone's support and understanding. Uh, so at this point, if you have not yet gotten on the list, uh, this is probably something to consider that you are probably late to the table to try and grab a seat, especially with respect to the New York City premiere, but it can't hurt you to try if you want to send an email. Just don't expect that it's going to work out at this point because there's probably many people who've emailed in front of you. And in the case of the New York stuff, uh, the drawings have been made. They know who they've offered the invites to. But if you're in the UK, it might not be too late to try and put your uh, name in the hat, so to speak, in terms of, uh, you know, proverbial hats that we draw from. But uh it, the other thing to sort of think about in terms of this is that this was an unprecedented number of fans uh, for a finite number of seats. Look, the last premiere that they did was for Ghostbusters Afterlife, and we were still in the modes of social distancing. Many people weren't traveling. There was going to be a, a smaller number of people who could be in a theater for that screening, but there was also far less interest in having, you know, uh, a, a big thriving thing. If you think about things that are going on, like the American Express promotion we talked about last week uh, that are going to allow folks to attend the premiere, there's a lot more folks who are potentially trying to come to this than there probably were for the last one. Uh, and that means that there's fewer spaces available uh, for, for people who want to be able to come, etc. So uh, keep this in mind that if you didn't get a slot, you know, to come to the premiere, uh, you know, don't don't feel bad. This is something that's really selective and it's not even like selective based off of, oh, you are important. It's a situation where you put your name in the hat and you didn't win a lottery. Uh, so I say this because there's some folks out there who will look at a situation like this and say, why didn't I get picked? It must be because of something personal. And I assure you, it's not. It's that there are many of us who want to go to a premiere and not everybody can go. And to be real, like most movie premieres, you don't get to go to like if Morgan, if Morgan Freeman has a premiere for a drama next month, the chances are uh, that there's probably not going to be a fan pen full of crazed Morgan Freeman fans who are all dressing like his character uh, from different movies. <laughs> That's the thing we do. And we are gracious enough to have, uh, you know, or rather we are, we are lucky enough to have hosts in terms of Ghost Corps and in terms of uh, Sony Pictures who are gracious enough to allow us to kind of come and be involved in that. So uh, if you didn't get the opportunity to do this, you shouldn't feel bad. But I will also say that if you caught me saying, according to my inbox, yes, Extraplasm received one invite for yours truly to attend. And while I won't be sidling up with the folks from Variety or the New York Times as part of the press corps, uh, you can be assured that I'm going to be trying to bring you as much coverage about the premiere event as possible as it comes out. And you can also rest assured that I'm going to be thrilled at the potentiality of pizza and bagels and probably trying to figure out how many of them I can smuggle uh, onto a plane because I don't get enough New York bagels in my life. A third, if you've been lucky enough to receive an invitation to the premiere, be kind. 
be reasonable, be a good ambassador of the fandom. I say this because there are going to be some people out there who will be disappointed that they aren't able to go, and there's also folks out there who are concerned about what spoilers may become inevitable once the premiere happens, so be helpful to fans, to Sony Pictures, to everyone who made the movie, and remember that attending the movie early also means being a part of a team to be cooperative, to not spoil it for those who aren't going to the movie uh, before it comes out in theaters. Along these lines, if you're listening at home right now and going, I'm going to have to give up extra plasm for the next like three weeks, you're not. <laughs> you should expect that I'll be giving some consideration to extra plasm's release schedule and content because there's a significant chance I'm going to see this movie before a lot of people listening to the show. And I don't want to spoil anything for you before the movie has its proper release. I know some of you have been waiting and you have stayed away from anything, you know, that isn't, uh, you know, a trailer or an official release. So, you know, that might mean that there's an off schedule episode or some other way of working around it. But for the next couple weeks, our guests are probably going to be folks who are not attending the premiere. Uh, but we'll see. Uh, the point is that I don't want folks to be concerned that the podcast is going to spoil the movie for you. And if you're listening out there and you're going, you should have the same sort of logic that you want to avoid spoiling things for other folks, uh, especially, you know, if given that, you know, how many people I've been trying to keep uh, sort of as much spoiler free as we can. I recognize that in the last few episodes, we've probably talked more openly about things that are in, you know, uh, pr produced public relations information, you know, articles that are in magazines. You're going to hear that again today. So if you want to avoid that, maybe avoid some headlines at the beginning when we talk about Frozen Empire stuff, uh, because we are going to get into a little bit of stuff in terms of what's in a magazine this week. But, uh, you know, I want you to sort of be thinking that the goal is not to spoil the film for folks who are not there. And the goal for all of us who get to go to it and have that amazing opportunity should be to be good ambassadors of the fandom. So that's the premiere news. Um, you now know that it's happening. You now know that there are two of them functionally. There's the premiere and then there's the cast and crew screening. And I will say this, uh, if you are in going to the UK experience by any chance, I had the opportunity to go to the friends and family screening for Afterlife in LA, and it was way more low key than a premiere for sure, but it also meant that like I sat in Ivan Reitman's row and it will be a thing I will never forget in my life. Um, the the, the cast and crew screening is probably going to have a lot less pomp and circumstance. It might not have a red carpet, et cetera, but what you'll probably have instead is a sense that everyone in the room who's there uh, is highly invested because they worked on it and they care about it. Uh, so it's a really cool opportunity if you're in the UK and you have, have the opportunity to go. And obviously for those of us who are going to be in New York, it's an amazing opportunity to be in the city where this story takes place. I'm hopeful that by the time the weekend is over, we will be able to, uh, see some things in a new movie and maybe visit some new locations. Like I want to go do some hopping through locations to go see like the public library and obviously the firehouse, but maybe, uh, you know, Friday after seeing the movie on Thursday, there will be an opportunity to go see some locations that we've never visited before for the purposes of ghostbusters. Who knows? Uh, but beyond the premiere, we have a few other things to talk about with frozen empire, uh, you know, in mind. And for sure, one of those things is that the merchandise and marketing machine is still out there and now running in high gear. A friend of the podcast, J.D. Raymer, shared Ghostbusters billboards that are currently up in Los Angeles, a few blocks from the Sony lot and appear to be blacklight reactive at night. Uh, you can catch photos of these over on uh, the Ghostbusters news. Uh, Jason has them. Actually, he was able to get them from J.D. and J.D. shared them with him and with uh, share them with Ghostbusters news and with me. And you can also grab them potentially by looking at Gil Kennan's Instagram account. 
Uh, Gil Cannon actually stopped on the side of the road and took a photo of his Ecto-1 billboard. And underneath the uh, photo on Instagram, he wrote, Am I the sort of director who jumps out of his car on the side of Fairfax to take a picture of my new movie's light-up billboard? Yes, I am. And because I'm ridiculous, I might have replied to that post and said, Is that this is the sort of podcast that's going to report on Gil jumping out of his car to take pictures of his billboard, and then I can't wait to see the movie. And now I've done it. I've actually done it. We've all done it together. I've reported on Gil jumping out of his car in the middle of the podcast and also reported on my own social media usage. So everybody, great work. We did it together. <laughs> but beyond the billboards, uh, which you should totally go check out because they glow at night and look amazing. And like, I kind of want to just drive into LA just to go look at them. There's four new posters that came out since we last proverbially met uh, via the podcast. And if you want to see those, you should hop over to Ghostbusters News where Jason Fitzsimmons has all four of them easily, you know, for you to take a look at. Two of them feature the Ghostbusters really heavily. Um, One of them has the Ghostbusters uh, standing in front of the New York Public Library with one of the lions that we have seen get possessed in the trailer uh, behind them. One of these images has 10 different Ghostbusters on it. I counted them and then it has Kumail Nanjiani too. Um, so there's like 11 people on this poster along with, you know, the the big bad and whatnot. There is one poster that I absolutely love and like I just am going to need maybe more than the others, even though it downplays the fact that it's a Ghostbusters movie. And then it's that there's a poster that has three mini puffs that are stacked, locked inside of ice cubes. And I just want this. I think it's an amazing image. Uh, So you can take a look at all four of these posters. I think that we can now count like there's the original teaser poster. There's what? two or three that came out previously. There's now four more. I mean, I I think this may be the most posters I've ever seen for a movie in my life, but it's definitely the most posters I've ever seen be released for a Ghostbusters movie. Uh, So if you're a poster collector out there, like now's your time. Make sure you pick up this stuff because there's a lot of cool stuff out there. Uh, Beyond the posters coming out, Total Film has announced that they have a new issue coming out on Friday on newsstands and at digital uh, for March 1st. Usually they release their magazine on the last day of a month, but because of the uh, leap day that's happening on Thursday, because it'll be the 29th of February, their next release will come out on the 1st. Uh, You can go and check out a preview article about this over at GamesRadar. So go to GamesRadar.com slash Total Film. Or you could do the easy thing of going to Ghostbusters News and clicking through the link in Jason's article. Uh, But they have a quick sort of um, snippets of an interview that they have with Paul Rudd and with Carrie Coon that I expect is a little more developed in the print version of this as this was sort of the teaser article. Uh, And in it, they talk with Carrie Coon and Paul Rudd about the experience of being inside Ecto-1. Paul Rudd comments that driving Ecto-1 is quote unquote, a real kick and the coolest thing ever and goes on to say, you know, there aren't many of those vehicles around. It isn't like they built them new for this movie. It's pretty crazy to think this is the Ecto-1 from the original Ghostbusters and I get to drive it. You're thinking, wait, I'm actually driving the Ecto-1. This is the coolest thing ever. But then you're thinking, don't crash. You feel the weight of that thing, both literally and metaphorically. So it's exciting and interesting. And now, while I will slightly sort of correct Paul Rudd here and saying that he's not really driving the original Ecto-1 because that exists on the Sony lot and didn't get rebuilt. I know I'm being nitpicky. I get his point. Like, these are not cars that you can, you know, get another one of if you happen to break it by accident. Uh, Even breaking a piece of glass in one of 
of those cars means that you are now looking to uh, go out to the unobtainium outlet to try and find something, uh, which, you know, you won't find because one unobtainium doesn't exist and neither does the outlet in which it's sold. Uh, but mo- for the most part, neither does new glass for a 59 miller meteor. So, uh, you know, I can totally appreciate what he's saying in terms of the weight of this, because the reality is if something goes wrong with them driving the vehicle, um, there's, they're, they're kind of have a real problem. So it is one of those things where you can make lots of different stunt versions of props, right. For different movies, then you go, okay, that doesn't matter if it breaks. Cause we can just make another one. But when it comes to the Ecto one, it's not really true. <laughs> you can build 10 different brand new Batmobiles because uh, you need to put them through different states of disrepair or, uh, you know, distress throughout the filming of a project. But with the Ecto, it's not a thing. So um, Carrie Coon goes on to say that more than once we've been stuck inside the Ecto one when something would fall off or break. I know it's a very enviable position to be inside that car, but we do get beat up inside of it. There are sharp edges. We all get bruises. It's not comfortable. You know, it's like driving an old car, but it's also very surreal. To be honest, I still can't wrap my head around the idea that I was inside the Ecto-1. Until I see the finished movie with my own eyes, it feels like I'm having an 80s dream. And I would imagine that's how I would feel (laughs) if I was inside the Ecto-1 in a flight suit, uh, you know, doing any of these things. It would be kind of amazing. I am curious to know how much driving they got to do. And I'm sort of wondering this, given that you know, we know the second unit team did a lot of the driving shots in New York uh, back in June and that the principal actors were not on set for that. That was a bunch of stunt drivers who were around. So I'm curious to know, like, how much driving went on in London and if they had like sets there and sort of like set up for driving around, um, you know, I'd be fascinated to hear more about that. And hopefully we will after the movie comes out uh, beyond the news about the magazine article that's coming out in Ghostbusters comic news that sort of connects to our Frozen Empire story. Uh, The fourth issue of Ghostbusters Back in Town has been announced, and this will be, of course, the final issue that will be coming out and will offer their fans uh, sort of their first and potentially last look at Madame Melvaux, uh, the primary villain in the four-part miniseries comic. Uh, This is a, of course, the four-part miniseries that will take place between Ghostbusters Afterlife and uh, Ghostbusters Frozen Empire and stitch things together. But remember, it's coming out after the movie. In fact, the first book will actually drop a few days after Frozen Empire premieres in March, and then we'll get one book a month until the story's done. This book uh, will come out on June 26th and features cover art by uh, Masters of the Universe Masterverse and Killer Queens artist Claudia Balboni. Uh, And again, it's going to finally show us who the lead antagonist in this is. It almost feels wrong. We know that I'm going into the comic book at this point. So if I spoiled that for you and you're a comic book fan, there's a ghost and its name is Madame Malveaux, or at least a really scary, creepy looking green woman who's on the cover. Uh, you can check this out now. Uh, Ghostbusters news has the image for sure on their website. You can take it out, take a look at that there. If you want to pick the book up, you can pre-order it now at your local comic book store so that you can get it when it comes out on June 26th and know that there will be at least uh, one more cover for this book. Each of the books we've seen so far far has had an alternate cover. This one does too. It just hasn't been released yet. Uh, So keep an eye out for that. Let's talk about some merchandise news for a few minutes. And the first thing I want to talk about is something you will hear about again in this podcast. And it's that Ripple Junction has a line of 
uh, I believe, seven new t-shirts that are out today. Uh, they are part of the Ghostbusters Frozen Empire collection that you can go and take a look at over on RippleJunction.com. Uh, if you go over there and click on the Ghostbusters logo in the middle of the page and then click on the link at the top of the Ghostbusters page for Frozen Empire, it'll take you uh, to the selection of stuff that they've put out literally today as the podcast is coming out as uh, new designs that you can pick up. But you should also know that you can go to www.ripplejunction.com slash Frozen Empire beginning today on February 28th and running until March 6th to enter a contest where you can win one of two merchandise prize packs. One of those prize packs is for these really awesome, like uh, extreme metal shirts. They're essentially like, they look like metal band shirts that have Gozer and Slimer and the Ghostbusters on them. There's three of them. Uh, so you can potentially win that prize pack or you might win the very sweaters uh, that were talked about in this podcast a while back uh, as they are the other prize pack for this. And even if you don't win, if you're going to ripplejunction.com slash frozen empire and signing up for the new letter uh, from Ripple Junction, which is what you need to do to enter the contest, you'll get 10% off on all the Frozen Empire designs that are coming out today. So if you know that you want to pick up some new shirts because you want to get them before the movie comes out, if maybe you know that you're going somewhere on a trip and you want to have some cool new stuff to show up <laughs> at an event with, uh, you can go and check out those awesome brand new shirts from RippleJunction.com slash Frozen Empire. Uh, and I want to say, of course, you know, you're going to hear me and David talk about this more in a few minutes when we get through headlines and get into the interview. Uh, but I, having looked at these designs, they're really awesome. There's some really great stuff here. And, you know, having high quality licensed apparel is a great thing. Uh, we have such a wealth of different options that are available to us. And I feel like we are not in those dark times where there's like one t-shirt that comes out a year and it's like a Walmart exclusive and everybody goes to look for it or something. Uh, instead, there's like a plethora of stuff out there and so many options available to you. Uh, even if you are looking beyond the Frozen Empire stuff on Ripple Junction, there's so many shirts that they have that I didn't even know existed until I started poking around and went, wow, I've never seen this one before. Uh, and for some of them, you may find that these are shirts you've seen in other places because Ripple Junction originally designed them for other clients, but that there's like some sort of special aspect to them, like they glow in the dark. If you take a look at the uh, Frozen Empire shirts that are coming out, you'll notice that some of them have like a freezing gloss on them, which separates them from how you might see a similar design, uh, you know, at another retailer. So go and take a look at those shirts at RippleJunction.com for sure. Uh, Ghostbusters themed Rice Krispies treats are coming. This is amazing. Uh, this is something that Ghostbusters News reported on in the past week and apparently was discovered as a result of um, an Instacart post uh, where Instacart lists products that you can have somebody as a shopper go and buy for you. And while they're not available yet, for whatever reason, the eight pack of Ghostbusters mini Rice Krispie treats are posted. Uh, these have slime around the box and green and white sprinkles. Beyond that, there's not much to them that's really Ghostbusters driven. Uh, but, you know, they're more Ghostbusters than the pop secret was from the last movie, because all that was was pop secret that had, had Ghostbusters stuff on the box. In this case, they actually gave you some sprinkles. And I have to say, like, I'm actually excited about this because, you know, this is a box that has, uh, if you go and look at the box for these Rice Krispie treats, obviously, you know, you're going to want to prioritize your mini puffs, right? Like you want to make sure that you get that crack in because they're marshmallow themed. And so of course you've got Slimer on the box, you've got the mini puffs all over the box. I think this is a better idea than Ghostbusters cereal. I'm going to go on record and say it. The last round of cereal that General Mills did was kind of 
lukewarmly received in terms of taste and what have you, and many of us bought it because it was, to us, some sort of weird edible collectible. But look, Rice Krispies treats have never been bad, okay? Like, that cereal was arguably not the best cereal we've ever had. But in this case, uh, Kellogg's is up in the game and bringing these Rice Krispies treats that I'm really stoked about. So uh, those are not available yet, but you should keep your eyes open probably over the next few weeks as we get close to the movie uh, in the section of your grocery store where you would typically find the box of Rice Krispies treats. I'm not sure if that's the cereal aisle or the cookie aisle. I haven't bought Rice Krispies treats in a while, so I don't know. Somebody let me know. Report in and <laughs> let me know what's going on down at the grocery store because for whatever reason, I don't recall right now. I hope this is not the last grocery uh, promotion we're going to get. Maybe we'll get some other food items that are going to be tie-ins for this movie because I just kind of find them fun. Uh, and also because I kind of want to start a segment of the podcast. It's just called like paranormal yet edible. <laughs> but I digress. Um, the other thing that's happened with merchandise this week is that the theater merch train continues a trucking along. Uh, and Agawam Theaters in Massachusetts has revealed two new popcorn buckets, one featuring Garaka and the other featuring the Ecto-1. Uh, these are actually images that you can find on T-shirts in the Ghostbusters uh, official merchandise store. The Garaka image is actually from a long sleeve shirt that they are selling. Uh, and so you can, these are not necessarily wildly new images as much as they are licensed images that are out there. You're going to learn a bit, I think, in this podcast, listening to David about these things called style books uh, and approved images and things that might get used across different products that are coming out of Sony Consumer Products Division and Sony Marketing, etc. So uh, these are two images you might see on other products as well, but they are nonetheless pretty cool. These are tin buckets in the same size and material as the Slimer buckets that we've already seen from Cinemark, where they turned up is a small family owned theater in Massachusetts that I believe is called, and if I'm pronouncing this wrong, I'm sorry, Agawam Cinemas. Uh, let me be clear about this. This is likely not an exclusive product because it showed up at a family owned, independently operated theater that's not part of a chain. Uh, but if you live in Western Massachusetts, you might be able to hop over there and pick these buckets up from them. If you want to see pictures of what these look like, you can go to Agawam Cinemas Fan on Instagram, A G A W A M Cinemas Fan to take a look at the original images. Or you can, of course, go over to Extraplasm's Instagram because they're posted there or Extraplasm's Facebook page. Uh, those are there as well. Uh, to be a hundred percent like real with you, please don't call this theater and ask them to mail you things. I know that somebody is going to be compelled to be like, they found buckets. How do we get them? They're going to come out in other places. These are going to be objects or rather, you know, promotional materials that are available to many different cinemas that are showing the movie rather than an exclusive thing that's only available in one region. So uh, don't panic about these. They're likely going to turn up in different markets in different theaters. Uh, and in the meantime, remember, it's a family owned theater that is like very nice running a old theater. They're trying to update and put in new digital projectors into that has a dot org as an, you know, it's it's URL. Um, don't harass them over buckets. Do go look at their stuff. Maybe go follow their posts and share them to help them get a boost on social media, though, because that would be pretty cool. Uh, in other theater merchandise news, AMC has announced that it has a collaboration with Loungefly, the uh, sort of designer 
uh, backpack and purse manufacturer designer, uh, and they will be releasing a proton pack backpack that looks really freaking cool. I got to be honest. It's going to be available from amcmoviemerch.com uh, beginning on the 29th. So tomorrow, not today, if you're listening the day the podcast comes out. Uh, so look for that on Thursday, the 29th. A price is not available yet, but you can see images of this. Uh, They were on the AMC Theater's Instagram page last week. You can also go over to Ghostbusters News and take a look. There's a whole slideshow of, you know, uh, several images of the the pack from its different angles, the interior of it, the features it has, etc. This is like, you know, a small purse backpack. It's not really like a proton pack you're going to wear as a prop to be clear. Uh, so if you're like, does it have lights? Does it turn on? Does it vibrate? No, no, and no. But will it hold your lunch? And will you potentially be able to keep your books in it and store your wallet somewhere? Yes. <laughs> These are things you can do with it. So uh, keep your eyes peeled for amcmoviemerch.com on Thursday if you're interested in picking that up. Final piece of officially licensed merch news for the week is that the DVD three pack that is sold at Walmart that includes Ghostbusters one, Ghostbusters two and Ghostbusters afterlife has received yet another refresh in terms of the slipcover that goes over it. Uh, You may have last heard me talk about this around Halloween when it was re-released in an orange and black uh, scheme to match up with the holiday season. Uh, this time around, that DVD three-pack is going to be a uh, glow-in-the-dark endeavor. So if you want to take a look at that, you can go pick it up for $22.96, either in-store at Walmart or online. If you're going to grab it online and you want to find it quickly, head over to Ghostbusters News and hit the link in Jason's story. Uh, my last piece of merch news for this week is an unofficial piece of merch news, and it's not even really merch as much as it's a collectible from people that we know and love. Uh, Matt Sanders, you may recall, was on the podcast very recently and talked about their upcoming signings uh, with Howie Weed and Kurt Fuller. Uh, the Howie Weed lo- signing is already up and ready to go. If you are interested in getting involved in that, the details are available over on the TCU Collectibles Facebook group. The new information is about Kurt Fuller. Uh, according to the information that's been put out from Matt and Tom over at the containment unit, uh, the orders are going to close on April 15th with the signing being scheduled uh, for May of 2024. They're going to be offering printed photo options, custom cards, and accepting send-in items for this. For any item you want to have signed, the cost is $50. If you want to ask for other requests, such as character name, personalizations, or quotes, that will be an additional $10. Uh, and the, the ta- those requests are at the talent's discretion, meaning you know if you write something that you want Kurt Fuller to say on your Uh, photo and he doesn't find it to be particularly savory, he may not do it. Uh, Keep that in mind. But uh, the opportunity is here to get 8x10s, 11x14s, or ray gun trading cards. The 8x10s will cost $5 for printing. The 11x14s will cost 8 and the ray gun cards will also cost 5 So these are really cool opportunities. You always hear me talk about how great the containment unit is and what great work they do uh, and how awesome Matt and Tom are. You've heard them come on this show and you know the energy and the passion they put into doing this because it's not just an opportunity for them to you know, have people send money and get signings done because they don't really make a lot of money on this. It's more service they do for the community, but it's more about them being able to complete their collections and to have experiences meeting these folks and bringing stories back to the fandom. So uh, you can always trust that they will take care of your stuff and do an awesome job. And I can't endorse the containment unit guys, Matt Sanders and Tom Henry enough. 
Uh, so if you're interested in doing this, go to TCU Collectibles on Facebook to check out the post. If you wish to place an order, the way to do so is to email them at slimedsignatures at gmail.com. Uh, don't DM them. Don't leave comments on the Facebook group. If you want to order, make sure you email them directly to get your order in. And keep in mind that you need to get your order in by April 15th. Okay. So that about wraps up our headlines for this week. So let's go now to my conversation with David Miyakawa as we talk a bit about what Ripple Junction's been up to, find out a bit more about the process involved in creating licensed t-shirts, and hear a bit about what's coming up down the pike that you might be able to put your hands on, either because you win it or because you buy it at a discount, uh, because we've got a great promotion available for you to do that uh, for the next week. So uh, let's go now to that conversation with David. Joining me on Extraplasm Podcast and coming on the show to tell us a bit about some awesome t-shirts that are out there, uh, an awesome graphic designer, somebody who's a big fan of Ghostbusters and been part of the community for a while and I've had the pleasure to get to know a little bit, uh, David Miyakawa of Ripple Junction. David, how are you doing? I'm doing well, Jim. How are you? I'm doing great. Um, I'm really excited to talk with you. I think that it's really cool that you are one of the folks out there making so many of the awesome designs uh, that Ripple Junction puts out and that t-shirt designs that are available that are kind of officially licensed. And I'm so stoked to talk with you about, you know, what is coming out for Ghostbusters Frozen Empire, the chat with you a bit about the process of putting out, you know, officially licensed merch with Sony. I mean, I kind of joke about this, but it's like a lot of the folks who come on Extraplasm are the folks who are like, yeah, I do something and I'm inspired by Ghostbusters, <laughs> but you are, are making stuff that's actually licensed, um, which is kind of exciting and fun. So I'm eager to talk to you about it. Well, I'm really appreciate you having me on. Uh, and honestly, I'm just a humble man behind Adobe Photoshop with the privilege to work on the Ghostbusters license. So uh, I'm just like one of you guys. I just have to follow the rules. The rules part is the part that, you know, nobody wants to do. No, (laughs) (laughs) Well, thankfully, Ghostbusters doesn't see into anybody. So, you know, get your stuff out and make your money, guys. No, I think that that's an important thing to consider is that, like, we have a very lucky position as fans. Like, as much as I want to say, like, we're going to talk about, you know, officially licensed merchandise today and the stuff that you're producing with your colleagues and whatnot. um, It is really great. And there are a ton of awesome, like, T-shirt designs for Ghostbusters Frozen Empire that, like, are out there right now uh, that Ripple Junction has, et cetera. And alongside the existing collection of stuff that you guys have been putting out for a long time uh, that is just really cool. There's this this weird thing, right? Where like we all live in this strange world of kind of soft appropriation, if you will, (laughs) if that's the way to put it. Like um, that, you know, every franchise will act as if like that's our logo and it can't be touched by anyone. But every franchise's logo is... An appropriation of a trademarked thing (laughs) that that a company is very kind to say, yeah, no, we want you to be fans. So it's okay for you to put your own spin on things, you know? Well, Ghostbusters is kind of in the position that Lucasfilm was in inside, I'd say, like the 90s and the 2000s that they look at uh, fan created merchandise as more of like an advertisement. It just builds the brand on top of everything. Yeah. Um, And I've always said like the one rule of that to not break is like, you know at a fan level that's like not written anywhere is don't go political, right? Like if there's one way that you are going to get somebody to be upset with you, it's to be like, Hey, let's uh, take our Ghostbusters uh, logo and link it up with, um, I don't know, right to life movements. <laughs> like, <Yeah. nope. laughs> that doesn't there's, really fly. There's a joke in there. I won't say it, but uh, uh, <laughs> one thing that you got to be sure of when you're doing it, guys, 
Make sure your no ghost is tilted in the proper 1984 orientation. Please, <laughs> not 1989, 1984. Wait, no, all Mooglies are supposed to have like a white glowing stroke around them and look sort of metallic like the 2016 logo, aren't they? Oh, <laughs> uh, yeah, that's that's the universe that we're in, right? Yeah. <laughs> uh, but no, actually, in 1989, Ivan Reitman tilted the original Ghostbusters No Ghost logo to match up with the Ghostbusters 2 logo. And the original Ghostbusters logo stayed in that position, I think, until 2009, somewhere around there. So the Atari game that came out, uh, yeah. I, I just I just played the, uh, the, the updated version. And every time I see the loading screen, it just drives me crazy because <laughs> No Ghost is ever so tilted. It's in the 89 position. And I'm like, you know what? Moogly's eyes, they need to be horizontal. They got to be horizontal. <laughs> it's kind of funny you said this because I hadn't looked at the loading screen for that game in probably several years at this point because I've been playing Ghostbusters Spirits Unleashed for way too long and way too much of it. Um, I recently divulged that on a video I made that I've played 1400 hours of uh, Ghostbusters geez. Spirits Unleashed in my life. What level are you at? Oh, I'm uh, this is funny. I was like level 100 and then people were like, are you going to tenure? And I was like, no, never. <laughs> so I look like a sleeper. Like I look like a person who just began playing the game and maybe made it to level 100. But it's just because I've never tenured. I'm like, I don't care about these cosmetics. I don't want to rework to get all this stuff again. So if you were really to get down to it, like I've I've been like level 100 for. Oh, God, I don't know. Forever. So and I, I'm not kidding. Like I recently looked and I was like, I've played 1400 hours of this game, something like wow. 60 days of my life or something is wasted. On well, Spirits I'm, I'm just glad it finally came out on the switch so I can finally join you guys. You know, that's awesome. But like, it, it is good that there's now more cross platform play. But what I was getting at is that I was having a conversation with a shout out to um, GB World Hub uh, out there on Twitter. We were having a, a chat about whether or not the firehouse has a chimney. Like, does the actual firehouse have a chimney? Because the Department 56 firehouse, which is, of course, a licensed piece of merchandise, actually has a chimney that runs up the back of it. And I started going like, well, wait, like, is there a chimney in the firehouse? And I had to go do comparative work. So I've seen that video game logo because mm -hmm. I had to boot into each of the video games to go and see which one had a fireplace and which one doesn't. And the reality is this, uh, the 84 movie, there is a wood stove behind right. it's, Ray. It's like a 60s style, like separated from the wall kind of stove. Yeah. Yeah, yeah, yeah. But I think like in the original movie, it's even older. Like, I think it's more like a cast iron one. And in the video game in Spirits Unleashed in the firehouse, there's like a yellow art deco one, mm -hmm. right? But in the 2009 video game, there's no stove at all. And oh. instead, that's where the weird architecture model that's haunted that you find in that one level where you have all the meddlesome little yarpers, the little right, um, right. mini puff guys who are or not mini puffs, but they're little. Uh, what are they? They're like little dogs that are made of marshmallow, whatever they're uh, called. Mini gargoyles. Yeah, kind of thing. Marshmallow minions. That's what I'm looking for. That level has like a collectible architectural model. And so that ends up being the place where that shows up in your firehouse after you collect it. And otherwise it's a dead space. So oh. I've seen, this is my long way of telling you, I've seen the logo you were talking about recently. <laughs> well, Very I mean, long if, way. If I'm going to get on, I'm going to get on Ilphonic's case too, because uh, I see that loading screen with the Ecto one. There's no <laughs> black behind that. No ghost logo on the Ecto one, man. No, these little things. There isn't. 
And the bumper is weird. I imagine it's an issue of using the actual model for a 59 Miller Meteor because I don't think that there are actual GM or Cadillac logos on that Ecto one in the game. Mm, So if you look at its front bumper and how the bottom bumper and the lights sit underneath it, there's extra lights there that shouldn't be there. (laughs) (laughs) Like there's four spots for lights underneath the headlights or something when there should really only be two, I think. I don't know. I guess that's a way to get out around a copyright. So, yeah. Yeah. That's how you deal with that is you just go, hey, whatever. But I mean, that's kind of funny to think about. But that game, not to sidetrack into this, is so full of things that were inspired by something in the real world. Like, have you ever been to the Queen Mary in Long Beach at all? No, I haven't. So the Queen Mary is a boat that's like permanently docked in Long Beach Harbor in California. And it is the the boat. Like from the game, like so much so that you can like that the coffee shop thing that's in the game where you can go in there and there's an espresso machine and all the seats like that's that is literally the Queen Mary, (laughs) like the the entire deck that exists with all the display cases outside of that. It is entirely the Queen Mary and you can take them and hold them next to each other like shot for shot and look at real world photos and that level and they match up almost perfectly. So do you think a game designer just went in there and took photogrammetry and got everything and just pieced it all together. I don't know. Like, I, I mean, I, it's weird. Cause like, I don't know if you have to license that, like that is technically like you're taking a representation of something that, uh, you know, I guess somebody owns and you're putting it into the game or that they just kind of do close enough, you know, to kind of say, yeah, no, we did this. The one thing I don't know if exists cause I've not been to the queen Mary in a while is there's that big theater in that level, you know, um, that mm-hmm. I don't know if that's in the boat there's a giant theater like that but yeah i bet there's a theater just not as big as in the game maybe like because it's a big theater in the game it's like multi floors so but anyway um but the kind of brings us around to kind of talking a bit about licensing you know and sort of um ip and copyright and things because this is the stuff that you navigate in a different way than those of us who are out there making fan franchise patches or the things that are kind of one-off fan inspired things um so tell me a bit about uh, how you got connected up with Ripple Junction and Ghostbusters. Like how long have you been working over there? Well, I've been rip- working at Ripple Junction for about seven years now. Um, originally, I was a screen printer. Uh, and so I actually made a whole bunch of Ripple Junction shirts. I was part of the printing gang. And I eventually just decided, hey, you know, Ripple Junction makes all these cool designs. I'll, I'll apply there. And uh, so now I've just been working on uh different licenses uh ghostbusters included uh you know we we have plenty of genres from anime to horror tv and film music gaming and consumer brands uh but you know of course ghostbusters is my number one license to work on it's it's just it's my bread and butter um also they they give me so much creative freedom other licenses want to have tighter control on their brands. So like a lot of the Warner Brothers cartoons, the Cartoon Network stuff, they'll give you poses and stuff, but it's very limited editorial. Gotcha. So, you know, we've got like five phrases that we can use on merchandise. But Ghostbusters, as long as it is in the spirit of the movie, they they let you do pretty much whatever. So this is kind of a situation where if you're a fan, you have the ability to kind of flex your creative muscle a little bit and throw some ideas out there as opposed to saying, okay, here's the deal. We've got, you know, three different cartoon drawings of a particular character. 
and you can utilize them. And these are the three catchphrases you can put on them and that's it. Right. Yeah. Mix and match, you know, do whatever you can with your Photoshop filters, but that's about it. How does that process work? Does that come from something where like you're approaching Sony with ideas and designs, or is it more like there's a meeting where they come, you know, somebody at ghost core at Sony said consumer products division, for instance, says like, Hey, we want to do like 10 shirts, come up with 10 ideas. Like where does that process of like creativity come from? Well, it goes both ways. Sometimes we have customers that come to us and that want to have some shirts, say like uh, Godzilla. Uh, Toho was building a store for Godzilla last year, and they came to us asking us to make some designs to fill out that store. And we did. And now it's uh, full of our our merchandise. But uh, a lot of times uh, requests come from customers. Because we we don't we don't only do direct to consumer sales. We also sell to major retailers like Hot Topic and Spencer's, mm-hmm. PacSun, Urban Outfitters. So uh, the department that I'm in, uh, we receive requests from customers, and we try and fulfill those requests uh, while following the rules for the most part. <laughs> I'm like, wait, tell me about the rules you break. No, I'm kidding. But but I think like I th- what you just said interests me because. I have often wondered how a design ends up in multiple places. And like one I'm thinking about right now in particular is I've talked about this design and I love it. And I don't know if it's yours. And if it is, then you can absolutely take credit for it and be like, yes, I did it. But there is a design for the Frozen Empire shirts of Slimer eating a pizza. Mm. And I love that shirt. And I'm like, that's amazing. But it is one that exists in the Ripple Junction store. It's one that exists on a hoodie in the Ghostbusters store. Right. Mm -hmm. And then like, if you were to go and look at a place like Kohl's, Kohl's always has like a line of Ghostbusters shirts that are often arriving in different places. Um, you know, or hot topic, like you were talking about, you know, so there's like this kind of situation where I go, okay, so whose whose design is that? Cause it'll have a ripple junction tag on it. If it comes from ripple junction webs, uh, the website, but it might have a Ghostbusters tag on it if I get it from somewhere else. And when I think sometimes for us as fans, we don't realize that that's coming from like the same process of development that makes sense. right right uh the the design that you're talking about is actually from the style guide sent to us from sony gotcha um, so with the frozen empire merch we don't have as much creative freedom as with the ghostbusters 1984 stuff and that's mainly because they're trying to have uh more of a focused approach a little bit more brand control so that everything mm-hmm. looks unified um so we we can take some of that stuff and manipulate it a little bit and uh you know add specialty inks which is what we're we're doing with our frozen empire stuff. So our slimer is going to be glow in the dark. Nice. Uh, our, our frozen empire logo is going to have a little bit of a, a gloss over the ice part of the logo. So that that's how we differentiate ourselves, try and elevate our products beyond just, you know, what's going to come out from the Sony store, what's going to go right. direct to to Kohl's and stuff. That specialty ink is is something that we try and do just because it does differentiate us from, you know, the the Sony store that's just going to be putting out stuff from the style guide that they create. So I guess that's an interesting question. Like, where does the when you get a style guide, like for folks who don't know what that is, what is a style guide? Like what's in it? A style guide is generally, uh, you know, of course, the logo, of course, the key art. Uh, Sometimes we have stills, screenshots. Uh, a lot of times, some licenses come to us with uh, actually finalized designs. So I, I do believe Sony has an in-house design group that they create stuff and distribute it to their partners. 
And that's where most of the Frozen Empire merchandise is going to come from. It's it's going to look a lot like those popcorn buckets, the you know, mm-hmm. tall, dark, and horny, and the Slimer eating the pizza. Uh, I actually tried to switch out the No Ghost logo for that pizza, and that was not allowed. So you can't, <laughs> you can't use the No Ghost logo in that way. <laughs> that's a good example, though. Like, the style guide would tell you what you can and can't do with a particular logo, right? It has to be in this orientation or it has to be in this size or it has to be in this colorway, whatever it is. Right. right. PMS callouts, specific color callouts. Uh, a lot of times we get a list of editorial. That's just like a PDF of phrases and stuff that we can use on merchandise. Um, and it's, it's a little tough to design for something that you've, you've never seen before. It's, it's like we're coming at it from your guys' perspective. Right. And we we have little tiny hints here and there. We try and piece together. Oh, is this Zetamore Industries? Can I use <laughs> this deleted scene from Afterlife to maybe recreate the Zetamore Industries logo and put it on a shirt, right. even though it's not actually sent to us from Sony? Um, but it's it's really just like trying to piece together a puzzle, and like we get these little little hints and like, but uh, you know it, it it all comes out in the trailer. Especially that last trailer, that the uh, the Ecto C, that was yeah. the last that was the last surprise I had under my belt. Um, <laughs> is it the Ecto C or is it the Ecto it, No, it is. It's called the Ecto C, um, and I I'm still not 100 percent clear on what it is other than a trike. I've looked at it several times, and I'm like, I can't decide like what this shape is. It's very unique in terms of being like you know a, a vehicle. What it reminds me of, honestly, is the Bat Cycle. Like the old like Batman 1966 bat cycle um, with mm. the sidecar on it. I'm like, that's what that is. <laughs> See, what it what it sends me into is the Ecto-3 from the real Ghostbusters. That's what it really yeah. reminds me of. Yeah. No, that's that's a fair comparison. I, I don't know why I'm pulling bat cycle instead, but I totally am. <laughs> um, but that's what you are touching on there, though, is like this idea that you're designing things for a movie that's not out yet that you haven't seen. Right. Like you have a fan relationship, but maybe not every graphic designer is going to right. like there's. I'm, I'm sure there's like IP that you've probably worked on that you're like, yeah, I can draw that, but it's also not my favorite thing. Uh, right. And so <laughs> in this context though, like if you're a huge Ghostbusters fan, you have to be finding out little bits and pieces early because you've got to have things like the style guide, or you have to have conversations about, you know, what is your client looking for? If you're developing shirts that they're going to be using on the Ghostbusters website, or mm-hmm. that are going to go out to these retail outlets, how long have you been working on Ghostbusters Frozen Empire apparel, like just for folks out there listening, how long uh, have you been like thinking about Ghostbusters Frozen Empire as in this capacity? Uh, well, I've been thinking about Ghostbusters Frozen Empire back before it was Frozen Empire. Yeah. Because when we when we received the license, it was codenamed Firehouse, like everybody, right. everybody said. And it literally was not until I think three days before the first teaser trailer came out that we we got an email from Sony saying, okay, it's frozen empire. So I don't think that decision was made until the very, very last minute. Right. Yeah. I, I kind of get the feeling you're probably right about that because it seems like there was a few different uh, names being kicked around for a while. Although I will say that I don't think that hell's kitchen was ever <laughs> a legitimately a name for the movie. Had it been though, you would have had some interesting opportunities to create some Gordon Ramsay mashup artwork. No, I'm kidding. But. Very true. <laughs> Hell freezes over would have been a good one too, because then you yeah. tie the ice back in. Uh, my personal like I, this wasn't anywhere. This was just like what I wanted the sequel to be called. I wanted it to play on the afterlife. You know, what's the sequel to Afterlife? 
well, it's Rise from the Grave because, you know, Ghostbusters is coming back, rising from the grave. Right. That kind of ties back to the Winston uh, Ray conversation about the Revelation 712. Yeah, no, you're right. It kind of does um, that. It would have kind of pulled that all back together again. That would have been an interesting name for it. I like that. Um, somebody out there who's going to make a comic should use that name now. <laughs> yes. <laughs> I'm like, I want Dark Horse to do multiple comics, uh, like multiple miniseries. So I keep wanting to just give them ideas of like, here, make a book called this. Uh, make it <laughs> six issues and tell this story that you haven't told yet. Uh, but uh, how like, g- tell me, um, what's the thing that you found out? That, like you can now share with people that you were excited about. Like what's something that when you found out about it was just like maybe the hardest thing for you to contain yourself about as a Ghostbusters fan? Oh, well, the red parkas for sure. Cause uh, we got some wonderful production set photos that actually have all the costumes and every single greebly itemized and named out and like the exact measurements of every little thing. And, uh, Oh, when you're, when you're recreating your parka, make sure that your no ghost logo has white mole skin on the moogly because that is standard. <laughs> That's funny. So all those little things I can't share. Uh, of course the ecto C, uh, we actually got a little teaser from that cause we saw the license plate like you guys saw, but we saw that it was a motorbike license plate. So it was like, Oh, well it's a motorcycle of some kind, maybe sidecar, but it wasn't until, uh, pretty recently that they sent us the ecto c designs it has like a vector drawing of the ecto c so you can see that it's a motorcycle with a sidecar and if that thing transforms into the gyrocopter i'm just gonna lose my shit (laughs) (laughs) if that is the the oh shit moment of act three like they drive off a ramp and it's oh no they're they're done for and then they pop up and it's a gyrocopter i'm just i'm gonna scream in the theater hey that's what gil cannon has been saying all this time when he's like it's like the real Ghostbusters. It's mm-hmm. this one moment that that strike <laughs> is going to suddenly transform into a helicopter or a gyrocopter and take off. Kids are going to be hanging out the edge of it. There's going to be guns fired off of it. It's going to have wings that pop out, right? Like, yeah, it's it's totally happening. Uh, it would well, be strange, if, right? If Afterlife is a love letter to the first Ghostbusters, I really think that this one's going to be a love letter to the real Ghostbusters. Yeah. For sure. Yeah, and I'm, you might have that sense more from the things you've seen. But I think, you know, we talked about this a bit off air, that one of the things that was very exciting for you was finding out way before any of us knew that Slimer was back. Um, Oh, that's right. Uh, Yes, the Slimer embargo. Um, It it was interesting. I'd say maybe the spring of 2023. You know, we're we're constantly making just Ghostbusters merchandise because it's an evergreen license. And then anybody anybody will buy, you know, pajama pants with the Ecto-1 and Slimer on it. But we tried to do some Slimer designs back then, and it got sent back to us from Sony that the Slimer poses that we have no longer used uh, because Slimer is under embargo. And they didn't tell us why, but I came to the assumption that, well, if he's not allowed to be used now, that's because they want tighter control on the Slimer image. Right. And that's probably because he's going to be showing up in the new movie. Because, I mean, if if it's going to be Ghostbusters in the, in New York and you don't do Slimer, what are you doing? It's kind of funny to think about this, but Slimer had reached a point almost at a graphic design level where you could do so many different interpretations of him. I mean, even if you think about like what Hasbro has done recently with the Ecto collection, it's mm-hmm. like, here's six little kawaii style 
<laughs> Slimers that all look not at all like, you know, I mean, I love the figures. They're great, but they look like cartoons. They don't look like something out of the movie. Well, they look like Slimer and friends. Yeah, that's 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 like a way to sort of put it is it's like that phase of the end of the real Ghostbusters kind of thing. Like they could have packed it in with six different Ferdinands and then I wouldn't have bought it because <laughs> I'd have been like, no, I hate that stupid dog. Uh, but <laughs> for those of you out there who are like, what's a Ferdinand? Don't worry about it. If you've never seen Slimer, the real Ghostbusters, uh, you'll, you've never seen Ferdinand and you don't need to. But just watch the rest of the real Ghostbusters cartoon. But I think about how Slimer has different representations. Right? There's different versions of Slimer. There's like the original OG onion head. There's mm-hmm. the version from Ghostbusters two, which is, bus driver, a, yeah. A, you know, yeah. The bus driver who like Robin Shelby played in a suit and was far more cartoonish in its appearance, but didn't get as much screen time. Right. You have the cartoon version of Slimer. Then you have like the spirits unleashed version of Slimer, which is almost like an idealized cartoon version of him. Right. Mm-hmm. And, and you get all these different variants of him that you get down to things like you know the bradford exchange lamp that looks amazing and i really want one but like it's kind of funny like even when you think about jason fitzsimmons and ghostbusters news and his like obsession with slimer butts and the comparison of different butts on slimer it's because there's all these different takes on that character and going into the movie i imagine sony wants to be like no we're got to pull it back to the character everybody's going to see on screen to some extent you know Mm -hmm. he's got to be on model for the new movie yep yeah. So by the same token, there's certain things that don't at all. That's why Jada can be like, yeah, let's put out like a, another Ecto one that looks like a transformer. And <laughs> like, there's nothing they're a little to less do precious with, that, with right? the Ecto one for sure. Right. Like it's kind of funny to consider, but the Ecto one is coming out right now in different colors. Um, and I'm like, what are you doing? Like you have, don't you have to control the IP on that too? Uh, but yeah, it's kind of interesting to consider that like you had a sense that Slimer was going to be a thing. Because you essentially got told, like, don't do anything with it. Yep. <laughs> like it, it's almost like just learning by process of elimination. Really. Yeah. Just because, you know, they're not going to tell us this kind of stuff, but we have to infer from what they do tell us, sort of like work around the problem until we actually get to the solution. Yeah. You're following context clues, right? To be like, this right, is right. what what is or isn't happening based off of that. When did you find out about some of the other characters? in the movie like when did you run across garaka for the first time and what what's your reaction to that well my first time i guess was the tall dark and horny design because that's what i saw first that was one of the first designs sent to us from sony and i saw it and immediately what i thought of was tim curry from legend just (laughs) big ass horns you know (laughs) that's first thing um now, I was thinking back like, oh, well, what's this guy's lore going to be? You know, Gozer is uh, from the Sumerians and the Hittites, you know, and yeah. oh, well, he's a he's a cold ghost. So he's going to be coming from some place cold, obviously. So and then they, they sent us stuff with the uh, runes on it from the, the orb. And it's like, oh, OK, well, he's got to have some maybe Scandinavian origin, something like that. Gotcha. That's kind of fun to consider because. I keep seeing images of Garaka and I admit I did this. I thought that Garaka had a very feminine form. And mm-hmm. so I was saying like she repeatedly over and over again. I was perhaps I, we still don't know who Emily Allen Lynn plays in this movie. Uh, so, it's a, it's a know, safe assumption. I, I, I bet it's her. I, I kind of think that's the deal. But so I have been saying she for quite a while with relationships to that character. And uh, <laughs> recently somebody said, hey, do you ever get the feeling that like the points on the shoulders almost look like boobs? And then, 
It dawned on me that if you took Madonna in a cone bra and threw a giant Viking helmet on her head, <laughs> that you might get kind of close to Garaka in design. But <laughs> I guess so. Yeah. You know, like the, like that era, not like current Madonna. And well, maybe actually, if you actually wanted to look at something, look more ghastly, maybe current Madonna in a, in a <laughs> cone bra would be, I'm being mean now. Uh, but like yeah, the point being that, you know, there's, it's an interesting and unique design. And I have to imagine that as that comes across a style guide to you, like, you know, in on pages, you go, Oh, what is this? It's very, it's very, very different. You know, it's, it's not Vigo. It's not Gozer. It's something totally unique. Yeah. And I imagine that has to then open up like possibilities in your brain of like what is going on with this movie at the same time as you also have to piece together and go, okay, how do we make something out of this? Like, what do we do with this? That's going to be interesting or, uh, you know, catchy that people are going to want to wear. Right, right. You know, it's 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 like I I have a Ghostbusters engineering design that's coming out that's sort of a play on the original Ghostbusters no ghost with Ecto on it. So it's. Uh, it's got the the no ghost inside the gear and it's got GB engineering, but it's all this kind of stuff that I had to piece together from like the key card that came out and then the Zedmore <laughs> Industries logo. And it's just, you got to cross your fingers and send it to Sony. If it comes back, great. And if it doesn't, you know, it's just, they're not, they're not going to tell you how to fix it, just that it needs to be fixed. Right. Right. So you kind of get like a yay or nay and they go, you can try and resubmit this, but you have to try and figure out what the, con- again, context clues to figure out what you have to create and what you have right, to fix exactly. on it. So how does that process work then? Like, are you, how many designs are you submitting to them as saying like, hey, here's things we came up with and we're seeking your approval on um, for a line? Uh, well, approvals sends stuff to licensors all the time. So we, we have a, with a whole team at Ripple that's, their job is to send stuff to the licensors, get stuff back, be the intermediary for, uh, let's say, emotional artists that should not be talking to people in suits. Uh, because, yeah, you know, you might say something you don't want to say. And it's just better to have someone who, who doesn't have any emotional investment in the design to, sure. to handle this kind of thing. Uh, you know, you learn to sort of dispossess yourself from actual designs but no the, our approvals team sends stuff constantly and it's pretty much you know whatever is in line you know they have assignments for the day and they just send them out uh sometimes we can say hey you know we, we need to have this approved faster so you know market as important or needs to go fast but uh beyond that it's just like a regular process it's actually an interesting how it's changed with the the rise of high speed internet because before then it was kind of just wild west you know the, a company would would mail you a cd rom in the mail what is this aol exactly <laughs> yeah and and that would be it you would get the files and there would be no approval process and they would just wait to see it out in stores and if they didn't like it they'd say hey you know pull it but other gotcha. than that, it was really loose. It was, you know, those Big Bang Theory days. But now it's far more of a sort of collaborative, in a sense, if not in a collaborative design sense, at least in an approval process sense, that what you're making has to kind of go to them first and they see it. And then. Right. Just to make sure that everything is on brand. Yeah. And how many designs would you say that you've produced for Ghostbusters t-shirts overall? For Ghostbusters, I'd say somewhere around the hundred to hundred twenty level. And how how many of them get approved? Oh, I'd say most of them get approved. Most of them, yeah. 
Um, they were a little kind of iffy on my uh, franchisee instructional manual because I, <laughs> I had a I had a whole collection going, and you know I I went into you know one of the fan theories of how the muon trap works, and you know they're not really down for that, you know. I'm, I'm the guy that, Sony, I'm the guy that's bugging you for all this kind of stuff. So it's, that's me. Um, (laughs) Yeah. Cause you're trying to get in universe and appeal to people who are like deep level fans. Right. 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 And it's like, so must resist the temptation to tweet at Dan Aykroyd to double check all this stuff. (laughs) (laughs) It would be kind of funny if he was like, I'm getting messages. The messages I'm getting are about whether or not the Muon trap operates the way it's supposed to. Uh, they're using it for some sort of li- licensed and brand apparel. What does this have to do with vodka? <laughs> Give me an idea. Like, what is what are some of the more iconic T-shirt designs that are like worn heavily by the fandom? Like, what are some of the ones that you've done that people can kind of connect with? Well, the one that I mentioned a little bit a, a while ago, those uh, No Ghost and the Ecto One illustration. That's just kind of like iconic looking. And I'd say that's probably my most popular Ghostbusters T-shirt because you know. You order Ghostbusters shirt, it's going to be the shirt that you order. Uh, <laughs> I mean, there there are some other interesting ones. Uh, there's some on on the Ripple Junction website right now. That's uh, an, a vintage auto racing with the Ecto One. Yeah, it's sort of that that NASCAR inspired. Uh, we actually, gosh, we have a a Harold Ramis tribute sort of Dale Earnhardt esque one coming out to Spencer's sometime soon too. Um. Another fun one is uh, the Cult of Gozer fanzine shirt. So it's <laughs> it's essentially like a flyer for the Cult of Gozer trying to get people to join, you know, get your free surgeries, pets welcome, come join us at the, <laughs> the building next to the Holy Trinity Lutheran Church. Yeah, uh, I'm actually looking at that on the website right now, and it's on like a gray shirt, uh, which I, it's, it looks much like a flyer as you're talking about. It's kind of cool, like. And it's kind of funny to think about this, but like that's a Spirits Unleashed thing too. Like if you look in that game, there's the level that has like the uh, the entertainment complex. It has like the pizzeria in it and it has like the dance club, etc. In that level, there are like flyers for like, come see Gozer. <laughs> As if like Gozer's a band. And I'm like, well, that would be kind of weird. Like if Gozer showed up and was like, yeah, I'm doing the coming out of my temple tour. <laughs> oh, well, if, if you want a Gozer tour shirt, that's actually what I'm wearing right now is the Gozer oh, World Destruction awesome. Tour, Voltrami, yes. Metectrix, and New York City. You actually sent me this design because you sent me a couple of these to take a look at a, a while back or maybe like last week. And they were like a collection of metal T-shirts that have the very like characters from Ghostbusters on them. And I was like, oh, my God, that's a thing I totally need. <laughs> yeah, it's great. <laughs> Well, that's that's one of our more popular trends is these extreme metal. So it's it's always fun to pair, you know, things that don't necessarily match up with the extreme metal lifestyle with that kind of. Yeah, but it's kind of interesting to consider, though, like looking at the Ripple Junction website as we're talking, I can spot how many designs like we were talking about. I've seen show up in other places like the Ghostbusters reimagined movie poster shirt, for instance. Right. Mm. I have that shirt, but that came from Old Navy. Right. Yep. I never would have known it was a Ripple Junction design or anything because like it's just something that I bought at Old Navy when Old Navy was like, yeah, we have one Ghostbusters T-shirt, just one. And you should go on <laughs> down and get the one we have. Right. And it turns out like it's the same. It's you know, it may not be on a different. He prints it on a different stock, 
right? Mm. But it's the same design that's kind of you all make, which I didn't realize. So uh, probably when it was back at Old Navy, it was an exclusive design to Old Navy. But once that yeah. exclusivity runs out, then you know they're not going to be selling that design. So we can bring it back and sell it off of our site. It's a good customer. design. I like that shirt. Um, Thanks. It's not mine. <laughs> I like these shirts, friend. <laughs> <laughs> oh. I think uh, that some of the most fun designs that you all have up in the Ribble Junction store right now are some of the Stay Puft designs you have up. Like there's the uh, the Stay Puft marshmallow design that's like on fire. Uh, that's kind oh. of fun. That that one. Yeah, that one's fun. That's actually from the video game guide. Oh, really? So so you see he's kind of like almost crawling up the building. So it's sort of like an yeah. icon from that. Yeah. Yeah, that's awesome. Yeah, we had we had one a while back that I actually drew from a, a set photo. There was a melted version of the Stay Puft head that they actually never used. And I redrew that and put like flames around it and made him look all melty and angry and stuff. And ah, gosh, I think it got approved, but it's no longer being sold. But you might be able to find it on like uh, Poshmark or something. Oh, well, if you do that, then it's going to cost seven million dollars because now it's a <laughs> it's a discontinued piece of Ghostbusters merchandise, which immediately mm-hmm. makes it rare and collectible. Uh, and so, yeah, that's what you have to go look for now. Uh, but did you all have any hand in developing some of the designs for uh, Wonderverse at all? Uh, no, not Wonderverse was a separate thing. They probably have their own design team or uh, farmed it out to another design house. Gotcha. I just wondered because like they have a bunch of exclusive designs there that uh, I, I don't know if you've heard this, that one of them is hilarious because it has the phone number on it for oh, the phone number, <laughs> but it, it doesn't have the phone number correctly. Like you probably as a person who's designed different Ghostbusters t-shirts could easily rattle off one of the phone numbers. You'd be like, it's five, 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 two, three, six, eight, or it's yep. whatever, you know, whatever the other one is. It's five, five, five. Yeah. JL five, 2020. Right. So, mm-hmm. but the shirts that came out for Wonderverse, one of them had this random phone number on it for like a Cleveland phone number. And how odd it turns out if you, dialed that phone number, you would get the Google voice for the Cleveland Ghostbusters. So oh. whoever designed those shirts, I don't know if they just like went to Google and typed in Ghostbusters phone number 2023 mm-hmm. and then got back a Reddit post where somebody had made the commercial for the movie using that phone number in it for like their franchise. And then that ended up being produced on the actual shirts available at Wonderverse. So hmm. you don't have to take credit for that because you didn't do it. No, no, no. <laughs> but it, it it is a wonder that an actual phone number got past the editorial process. Because is that, that something is, you find does not? Uh, yeah, well, it's something that they're definitely worried about because you know they don't want people to you know get random calls from people staring at T-shirts and saying, "Hey, what's that number?" But uh, I, Ghostbusters I, fans would never do that. Come on. Oh no, never call <laughs> random numbers that they see on a T-shirt. Never. But no. I, I guess it's since it is the Cleveland Ghostbusters, you know, there's nobody to complain. And, you know, now they get plenty of phone calls, I'm sure. So, yeah. Yeah. Now they're like, this is awesome. We're back in business. We're back. <laughs> <laughs> if you're out there in the Cleveland Ghostbusters and we're talking, you know, out of school about your franchise, don't don't worry. We love you. Uh, you're, you're cool. And you have you have more phone calls than either of us at this point from Ghostbusters fans. So For be sure. proud. <laughs> <laughs> I think it's cool, though, that like you're designing a lot of different merch for also different age groups. Right. I mean, like Ripple Junction makes T-shirts that I tend to think of that I would buy. Like you make youth apparel, right? Like you're making all kinds of different stuff. And so does that sort of change 
how you approach the designs? Like, do you have to design something knowing it could end up on something for any number of age ranges? Or do you have like moments where you're like, okay, we're designing shirts for, you know, for kids. So this is our kid stuff. There are specific uh, requests that we get that are youth oriented, but a lot of the stuff that we make for adults just ends up on youth shirts. And of course, it's going to be the stuff that's appropriate for youth. Uh, you know, there's adult designs that kind of seem a little bit more juvenile, like the uh, I've been slimed, no ghost with a uh, big slime patch on it that I, I right. created from a vintage tee. But uh, that one, I guess, skews kind of, you know, Nickelodeon-esque sort of the younger range. So it, it works well for a youth, but it was a, originally designed for an adult tee. Uh but for the most part, we do design for adults. Um, we also have a separate women's team that also designs for women's apparel, too, so they can have their own spin on it. So we have different teams that come in, but uh, between youth and adult, it's generally the same kind of people. Gotcha. Yeah, I just I wondered because it was like you often see a design that's on kids apparel, but isn't on adult apparel for some reason. Right. And I wondered if there was some sort of like, uh, you know, sort of guideline from Sony or something like, hey, we want this design to be just for kids apparel or just for adults, et cetera. Um, and I say that because sometimes there's stuff that comes out for kids and I'm like, why didn't you print that on a? I would have bought that. <laughs> like, I, thought, <laughs> I would wear that. Like, I, I think that about the Reebok shoes, for instance, like I, I'm not oh, a huge geez. fan of the Reebok shoes, but like the one set that I really wanted was like give me those mini puff sneakers. I'll, I guess I'm a grown man in his forties, but that doesn't mean I'm opposed to wearing sneakers that have mini puffs on them once in a while. They're pretty cool, but, but would um, you actually walk around in those sneakers? Would, would you, would you sully those sneakers with the ground underneath you? I would walk around in those sneakers way before I walked around in the ones that looked like they were covered in pink slime. Uh, no, that's, true. <laughs> that's for sure. <laughs> You're like, would you? Yeah. If they were, if it was the option of that and the other ones for sure. I was also trying to think about this. Are you all the only folks who have a license to raise a culture? Gosh. Maybe. Um, you know, that's that's one thing that, uh, you know, Ghostbusters 2 just doesn't get as much love as, you know, 84 Ghostbusters, which is a shame because that's the only one that I actually saw in theaters, you know, when I was in kindergarten. <laughs> uh, the Frozen Empire, they did supply us with a Raise a Cult official logo. But the one that you see on our site was just made from a screen grab. So that's all just original stuff. Um, I did the research, found the so-called address where it's supposedly at. And, yeah. Uh, but I mean, that stuff's I don't think that address is approved any longer because it's the same kind of situation as having the phone number on it. You know, people show up on Mark's place and bother somebody that's not actually into ghostbusters and it's it's fine like what's there at this point is probably an out of business boba tea place and i'm not even kidding <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> like i'm gonna find out hopefully uh if i'm in new york in the next few weeks one of my intents for real uh is to go by there that's the street that i grew up on essentially like i didn't oh. live there i didn't like i didn't live there but that's where i went when i would leave my parents house and be like i'm escaping to new york city on the long island railroad I would go into Manhattan and hang out on St. Mark's place because there were a whole bunch of used record stores there. There was a, a punk club there called Coney Island High. Uh, there was a whole another punk club around the corner that um, the Lower East Side Stitches punk band used to play at regularly and stuff. And 
so I used to hang out on that street. Like I would just go in there as a teenager and putz around with my friends. And for years, I never realized that's where Ray's occult was. I, I knew that like the manic panic headquarters had been there and stuff that are in the movie. And I knew about the other stores that were right there, but I never pieced together that that's where Ray's occult was. So I want to go back because I want to see the neighborhood because it's totally changed. Like there's a gap there now and stuff that's taken over other things. And I, my understanding is that 33 St. Mark's place right now has been subdivided into four businesses with a tattoo shop upstairs, a private third party Mac, uh, Mac fix it shop, like Apple fix it shop upstairs. And then downstairs there's like a, a smoke shop. And then what was raise a cult went from being a burger place up until 2017 to a Boba tea chain that existed for like two years to an independent like Taiwanese iced tea place. And mm. I don't know what it's become since. So I like want to go and find out what it is at this point. But like, it's kind of interesting. You're right. Like that, that is the only piece of apparel I could think of that had the address on it. Like, and it's what made stood out to me as so I was like, Oh, I need that shirt because it actually says St. Mark's place on it. And it's like brings together my crazy world of stupid punk rock love and Ghostbusters stuff because it's like all in that one place. But for whatever yeah. reason, I never noticed it. Here's a question that maybe is going to be out of left field. That's not really frozen empire oriented. Did you get an opportunity to do a lot with Muncher? Like Muncher is a character who like he was a, a kind of like going to be a, an important ghost in afterlife so much so that like in Spain, they were like, let's do an entire MasterChef episode <laughs> of Spanish MasterChef about Ghostbusters. And the thing that we're going to reveal to the entire world via a MasterChef episode is Muncher. And then after that, it was like all promotional merchandise involving Muncher just was like gone. And the mini puffs took his place. He just like kind of usurped any involvement he had in the movie. Well, mini puffs are definitely more marketable. No, for sure. Without question. I tried to do a Muncher design because they they gave us one rendering of Muncher. I think he's holding on to a fire hydrant with his little four or yeah, he's got four legs, six legs. Yeah, six, yeah. he's like six legged, I think. Right? Six, he's a yeah, he's like a yeah, tardigrade. Uh, so I tried to do an illustration on top of that image that they gave us because it wasn't very high resolution. Um, and it came back not so approved because uh, like Frozen Empire Afterlife at the time, you know, they wanted to have brand control over it. So sure. there's not much creative freedom that you can do with it. Um, but I was trying to get some muncher representation. I tried to get the phrase, it's munchin time past editorial, <laughs> which uh, did not make the grade, unfortunately. <laughs> <laughs> I kind of wish now that happened in the movie. I wish that Muncher had one line in the entire movie and it would happen when he was inside the prison cell, right? Like he'd be in there. They'd be like podcast look over at Phoebe and be like, I believe in you. And then like all of a sudden he'd be like, I've got a plan. And he would flip the, bu the button to like let Muncher out of the trap. And he would just look straight in the camera and go, it's munching time. <laughs> 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 My question is, can Muncher phase through walls with a stomach full of scrap iron? This is a great question. I actually yeah. really appreciate and love this question because it doesn't make a ton of sense. Right? Or like, does he does he leave the scrap iron behind? He phases through yeah. the wall and everything just falls out. Like that to me is the way it should work. Yeah, yeah. I think that's the way it works with Slimer to some extent, right? Like he's 
when he's flying around in the first movie, I don't know that he's carrying anything, but when he crashes into walls, like think for instance, when he has uh, sort of possessed the cart that runs mm-hmm. down the hallway, he goes through the wall. The cart does not go through the wall, right? Because he's just like possessing it and then pops out of it. So I would tend to think that's the case, but maybe, but also the, the wine he drinks in the ballroom goes straight through him. So yes. does anything that Slimer eat actually stay inside of his form? <laughs> or does it just kind of fall out half chewed and covered in ectoplasm? <laughs> you now have me wondering. I hadn't thought about this, but the, the trailer for Frozen Empire illustrates Slimer. And there is this giant pile of food and food wrappers. Mm-hmm. Well, what if that's just the stuff that's fallen out of him? <laughs> uh, probably. I mean, there, I mean, there, there's a kitchen on the top level of the firehouse. So maybe there was like a food supply up there. But I, I'm definitely subscribing to your theory that Slimer would wander off to a bodega and, and grab like a <laughs> Snickers and take it back up to the top level of the firehouse. Hey, you actually just made me think of something else. And I realize we're getting away from T-shirts and I hope that's OK, because we don't oh, we'll talk fun. about just Ghostbuster stuff for a few minutes. But like. I am trying to wrap my head around the firehouse and the notion of how it is laid out. Because if you really think about the version of the firehouse we know from Ghostbusters media, mm-hmm. that firehouse has two floors, mm-hmm. right? We don't ever see a third floor in the movies. We don't see oh. a third floor in the video games. But right? the realtor describes the third level that has a full kitchen. Yeah. But we've never actually seen it, and the layout doesn't actually make sense for it. And like, there, there's no stairs. There's a ladder up to the kitchen. So, yeah. Right. But in the actual, like, Engine 23 firehouse, right, the internal parts of the firehouse, the third floor would have been chief's quarters. So it was like an ornate chief's apartment that uh, was up there, right? And mm-hmm. in actual Hook and Ladder 8, there is a kitchen on the third floor. Like, that is what's up on the third floor of the actual firehouse, but that's not, uh, of course, the interior. That's just the exterior of the building. Right, so, interior is LA, yeah. I have been trying to decide if the attic we've seen in the trailer is 100% movie magic. Like, that. There's just there is no physical space that is the attic of Hook and Ladder 8 in that sense, right? That neither of the two firehouses would have that space in it for real. I'd say that's a safe bet, you know, recreate a set on, you know, on studio lots and maybe have the window, the the archway window, you know, off in the distance. So you can show that this is the third floor, but not actually have the third floor because I'm sure, you know, limited time to actually shoot on location, stuff like that. Yeah. I'm just, I'm very interested to see how that's going to play out because realistically, like they're, there should be a third floor. You can look at the windows. <laughs> like there should, I mean, it's just a, a really tall second floor. Vault <laughs> like, <laughs> ceilings, really good ceilings. Yeah. But it's only the toys that have done the third floor in any capacity, right? Like the, the mm-hmm. Lego firehouse has a third floor. The, um, the Kenner original ghost, but real ghostbusters firehouse doesn't have full floors, but has like partial levels, right? That the fire pole runs down between. And even the Playmobil firehouse does the same kind of thing of there's like a lofted level on the third floor that doesn't go across the entire floor. And so Mm -hmm. I'm kind of intrigued to be like, what is the layout of the firehouse in this new movie? Like, does it have a proper third floor or is there just this attic? Well, I was wondering where, where are the stairs to the third floor? That's, that's what I'm wondering. Cause I think uh, spirits unleashed has a ladder and it's referenced that third floor is someplace you don't go. I believe. 
My assumption is that it's Trevor's going to hear a noise or something and they're going to go up to the abandoned third floor of the firehouse and uh, he's going to have some kind of E.T. Elliot moment where he he tantalizes Slimer out with some flaming hot Cheetos and tries to trap him. Because, <laughs> oh man, that, that's what I want from this movie is uh, more references to 80s movies. Because that's what I loved about Afterlife. They, uh, they had a whole Goonies vibe. They had the gremlins yeah. with the mini puffs. So I'm like, okay, it's like what? An- it's like an Amblin movie. Right. right. It's a, a love letter to the 80s. So so what are they going to do this time? And the E.T. Elliot thing is an obvious one that they could do with Slimer and Trevor. Uh, something that I want is some full-on Blues Brothers-style car chases. Just like cars <laughs> going off of ramps. Like, oh, the Ecto-1's chasing the giant eel ghost down the street. And there's like a trail of police cars chasing after them. Just getting into accidents and piling up and everywhere. Did you all end up getting, now that you brought up that ghost, the sewer ghost? Um, was that something that you received, like... um guidelines on whether you could or couldn't put that on t-shirts uh we sh- we actually didn't receive any assets with uh gosh what is it the sewer eel ghost or something yeah like that? it's called the sewer dragon i think in the movie but okay yeah i'm like i'm always think of it as called the sewer ghost because that's what it was called when mattel did it like ah, years ooh. ago they already did that ghost as a toy because it's in, you know, one of the movies already. It's something mm-hmm. that comes out of the sewer in an original Ghostbusters movie. That's I feel like nobody has put this together to be like, that is also a recurring character in the Ghostbusters universe. Right? I sure didn't, but I'm going to be looking at it now for sure. <laughs> like, is it the same ghost or is it the same classification of ghost? I don't know. But like, it's definitely something that exists already within the universe. and something that Mattel didn't as an action figure years ago. And so I wondered, like, if that meant we were going to see more merchandise with it, you know, given that oh, it's also I, I, I a callback. I, I bet it's you know. coming. I wanted to sort of touch base with you a little bit about what you think about the upcoming shirts you have coming out, because you do have this frozen empire line coming out and you've shown me a few of the different things you have from like the metal shirts, uh, like the one you're wearing right now. Uh, and you've got a great promotion that's going to be firing up for folks. So I want to make sure we talk about that a bit too, but out of the shirts that are coming out now, like what do you think is your favorite? Well, uh, my favorite is definitely the uh, GB engineering shirt that I've already mentioned. I've got one that has not necessarily been approved right now. It's it's the firehouse from the Frozen Empire key art, but it's zoomed up on in the uh, the no ghost sign, and it has oh, a, okay. a, a glow in the dark overlay on top of that, so it, it really really glows. Um, we're waiting to hear back about that, but, uh, the Slimer one that I mentioned that's glow in the dark, that's going to be really fun. Uh, we got some mini puff mayhem designs that are coming out. Uh, that's really fun. Uh, I love all the Garaka designs. I I just love its design. It's just so cool. You know, it's, it's so brooding and foreboding and it really gives you the the horror aspect that was kind of missing in afterlife. Yeah, um, it's very different, right? It's it's and it's kind of like offsets from like other ghosts that we think of as being kind of like fun, you know, like this right, looks right. like a very scary, spooky, like demon kind of thing. And I think, you know, even the terror dogs at this point, which were very scary when I was four, are now <laughs> like, ah, whatever. They're just two dumb doggies. Yeah. <laughs> like, <laughs> so as scary as a tuple of slime. Yeah. But that's interesting, like that you have these Garaka uh, designs coming out that you're excited about. I think that's really cool. So 
the Frozen Empire line's not necessarily on the website at the moment, as you and I are talking, but it will be when the episode drops on Wednesday. Um, That's correct. So when people are listening to this, they should be able to go over to RippleJunction.com and check out the uh, entire Frozen Empire collection if you click on the Ghostbusters logo. And then at the top, there's a link that says Ghostbusters Frozen Empire. It should take you right there. Yep. And uh, uh, we're actually going to be running a little drawing. Uh, So if you go to RippleJunction.com slash Frozen Empire and you sign up for the Ripple Junction newsletter, you are automatically entered into a drawing to win the Extreme Metal Ghostbusters collection or the Ghostbusters sweater collection. Uh, And also when you sign up for the newsletter, you will automatically get 10% off of all Frozen Empire merchandise. So just a little, little enticement to get you guys over there and sign up for the newsletter. Yeah. No purchase necessary. So sign up to the Ripple Junction newsletter February 28th through March 6th, and you'll be automatically entered into the drawing happening March 7th to win one of these two collections. That's awesome. Uh, And 10% off is nothing to scoff at because it's always great to get Ghostbusters stuff for cheaper. I really think this is great. Like the designs that you've shown me so far that I've seen out of that Frozen Empire collection are really cool. The um, the metal collection that you're also talking about that's going to be one of the giveaway options is awesome. Like these look like three like death metal shirts. <laughs> that, oh, like yeah. one has like Gozer, one has like Slimer, and one has um the th- three of the four Ghostbusters on it. Um, it's got Ray and Peter and Egon on it. The original, uh, which key is pretty cool. Three. The original key art, right? Yeah. Um, so that's pretty awesome. And I, I saw those immediately when I was like, ah, I need those because I like to collect band t-shirts and this is literally me, the ability to like smash together band t-shirt design and Ghostbusters design together and something that's really unique and different from what's available out there right now already. So, uh, yeah, there's also one more that I didn't show you. That was the, uh, state puff shirt that is kind of a melty state puff looking extreme metal logo. Nice. I can't wait to see that when it comes out and the sweaters you talked about. Uh, it's actually kind of how you and I ended up touching base initially. Oh, uh, right. Yeah. The I sweaters mean, I, came out and I was like, those are cool. And then like you messaged me, you're like, hey, I made those. <laughs> well, I'm, I'm just sitting there designing shirts and all of a sudden I hear people talking about Dripple Junction. And I'm like, my ears perk up. I'm like, what? what what's going on? So <laughs> I, I check it out. I see that it's plastered all over your Instagram and uh, GB news picked it up too. And I, I just wanted to message you and thank you for shouting us out. It's, you know, it, it's really cool to get that kind of fan engagement. It, it's, it's really cool. something that we're trying to build on. I think it's cool. Look, I, I love t-shirts, right? But part of the thing I love that you all are doing is like branching out from t-shirts into other apparel, right? Like mm-hmm. that there's, you've got sweaters that are out there and not like, Oh, it's a Christmas sweater. No, it's just a sweater, right? Like you could wear it at Christmas is totally fine, <laughs> but like, it doesn't have to be a holiday sweater. And it's something that, you know, you can wear and be like, oh, I've got this sort of Stay Puft image on that is really fun and playful. And you don't have to wait around for the holiday season to enjoy it. Right. <laughs> right? Like, I, that's that's kind of one thing that uh, I've been trying to push at Ripple is, you know, have the holiday sweaters, but try and branch out from the holiday sweaters. Everybody's yeah. got an ugly Christmas, Christmas sweater, but how do we elevate this without necessarily having all the bibs and bobs and you'd get on a normal ugly Christmas sweater. And uh, that's trying to do research into the history of sweaters. So uh, the Stay Puft Marshmallow Man sweater is it's kind of a callback to a Russian naval uniform mm-hmm. because that is 
the the original Stay Puft hat and right kerchief and stuff. He's 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 a sailor. He's in New York, you know. Right. Uh, <laughs> so that's it's kind of a cross between the Russian naval sweater and sort of a brand promotion of Stay Puft at the same time. And the uh, the other sweater is, gosh, I. I did some research and I came across this old knitting pattern for grandmothers that was being distributed around back in the 80s. So maybe your grandmother knitted you this sweater <laughs> that has the No Ghost logo on it. Right. So I kind of just took that and changed the stripes and put the title card logo on the back. And so it 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 has a real 80s nostalgic feel to it, I hope. Yeah, no, I, I really like that sweater a lot for that reason, because it feels like a vintage sweater right it's the same way that i one of the other things you have that you all have out there that i think is great um is i mean as much as it's just kind of simple and what it is but it just i like it is like the military zip hoodie that you all have out Ooh, yes uh we got to talk about that because it is in development right now to have a red military oh. zip hoodie oh wow so we are working on that right now um I am trying to get Sony to approve an illustration with the yellow bumpers. We'll see how that goes. Uh, but nice. I will try and have the white mole skin on the No Ghost logo on on the arm <laughs> patch and have the appropriate amount of fringe. That was something that uh, I was sure of for the original 1984 military hoodie. Was I was like, you got to have the fringe on the No Ghost. You got to have it there. <laughs> They're going to know. They're going to know. That's funny. Yeah. I mean, I don't know. I just, I value t-shirts. I love them. I have way too many of them and I admit it. Like, not that like, that's a bad thing. It's just, I'm the kind of person who gets banned t-shirts from 20 years ago. And I'm like, I can't get rid of them because they're, you know, they're the the shirt that I've had for this long. And it's from that time I went to this concert and it's amazing. And I admittedly, like my partner will go, you have too many, like you you just get rid. I'm like, no, you can't. They're, they're, they're part of the collection. I know I'm weird, but being able to diversify the things I'm wearing Ghostbusters wise off of t-shirts is nice. Like it's, it's a thing mm-hmm. where as much as I love them, a good jackets, you know, are something I've really grown to appreciate um, and sweaters and things like that. And so watching you all sort of expand out from just kind of doing t-shirts and stuff to doing other products has been kind of cool to see, especially over the last year or so. And I'm hopeful that you're going to do more stuff like that. So to hear that there might be like a red parka inspired design like that is that's awesome. I'm like, yes, well, do hopefully that. it'll be a little bit more comfortable to wear in New York in June versus like an actual parka. <laughs> yeah. I mean, you'll still, you'll still be hot, but you won't die of heat stroke. Right. No, you won't, you know, suddenly keel over because you are wearing something that was designed to be in negative 43 degrees, uh, in a climate <laughs> where it either the sun doesn't come up for months or it just doesn't go down for months. One or the other, um, <laughs> which is where that jacket should be worn. So Antarctica and that's it. Yeah. Yeah. Maybe Alaska. That'd be okay. If you want to go to Alaska up by the Arctic circle, you know, you're going camping and you've watched too many YouTube videos from people who go camping in the Arctic circle, because that's a thing that apparently trends now, uh, at least in my YouTube feeds, people out there are like, what? I'm like, I don't know, dude, I have a weird YouTube algorithm. What do you want from me? Uh, Is the but- guy with the wooden stove in the back of his truck kind of thing. Yes. Yes. Yeah. Okay. Yeah. Oh I know my that guy. God. I know that guy. <laughs> 
<laughs> We've been down the same tiny house rabbit trail. So yes, yes, yes. The yep, guy who yep. uh, his name is Tim, and he drives around in a in a Ford F three fifty that he built yep. a cabin on the back of. That's and, the guy. Uh, yeah, that's the guy. That's him. He's. I don't know what the deal is. The algorithm loves him. Everybody knows who he is now. It's so bizarre and strange. Uh, but yeah, like that, he could wear the red parka. That's totally fine for him. That would keep him well, warm he- in the event that you know his. His stove broke. <laughs> he needs it. It's, it's an essential item for him. Right. He can wear it. So that's what we got to do now. That's your next uh, activation for Ripple Junction is you got to go find that guy and be like, listen, we're going to get this red jacket thing we're doing. If you could wear that in 40 degree weather, just let, or negative 40 degree weather, let us know how it goes. That'd be great. He's <laughs> like, what? And if you survive, let us know. Yeah. So somebody out there is going to somehow now manage to get that guy to like know this podcast exists and. It's going to be a weird crossover. It's going to find out the reason he's out there in his truck because he's actually busting ghosts in the Arctic and we just didn't know about it. <laughs> yes, this is he's a thing now. Abominable snowman. Oh, that's that's one thing. Do you think something huge will show up in Frozen Empire? Because that was something that was missing from Afterlife. If you go from the Ghostbusters thematically it always ends with a giant thing. If it's Stay Puft or it's the Statue of Liberty walking oh, through the I streets of New saying. York. Is there going to be a giant, say, abominable snowman that walks through New York <laughs> that's completely frozen over? I mean, I mean, the sewer, the sewer ghost is pretty, pretty big, but it's not the same kind of uh, right. Godzilla stomping kind of motion. I actually had a thing that I, I don't know if you remember me talking about this a while back. But I said that there could be an amazing ghost that was an amazing, giant, horrifying ghost for that movie when I saw that it was going to come out at a time that was frozen. Because originally we thought like I think that we we knew the movie was going to come out in December and with the original date. And there was this discussion about like maybe there was going to be a lot of frozen stuff in it. And so the thing I wanted was I wanted a terrifying ghost that represented the dead spirits of every Rockefeller Center Christmas tree. <laughs> <laughs> it's like it's a ghost that comes to life and is like, I'm a haunted tree and I'm 20 stories tall. <laughs> like I'm going to wreck your halls. <laughs> right. Yes. <laughs> it just takes revenge on the city for somewhere in the ballpark of like a hundred years of dead trees that have all been trucked into the city from different places. Right. And one of them came from a haunted forest somewhere in Oregon and was trucked across the country and will now have its revenge. <laughs> like what would that be? A class six? I'm not sure. I don't know. I, I'm not sure. <laughs> I, I mean, I'm not really sure how a haunted Christmas tree that's been dried out interacts with neutrona wands. It might just go up into flames and be an easy bust. <laughs> but it's it was my idea was, yes, if we're going to have a giant demon in the new movie, a Rockefeller Rock Center Christmas tree ghost. That's what we need. Like. <laughs> It's an I that's an excellent idea. It's a way to Look, go. I'm not telling you that that needs to be on the next Ripple Junction Ghostbusters Christmas sweater because <laughs> you design them or anything. But I'm just saying, like, <laughs> I mean, I have been playing around with different Frozen Empire sweaters, so we'll we'll see how it goes. That's what you need. I'm telling you, just just do me a favor. Draw that and submit it to Consumer <laughs> Products Division. <laughs> just so you can see what their reaction is. Like, I've come up with a brand like, new ghost. His name is Rocky. <laughs> he's the Rock Center Christmas tree ghost. He's made up of five different trees like Voltron. <laughs> yes. He shoots <laughs> pine needles. Like, 
they'll be man. like, what? What is this? No, not approved. No, what are you doing? Oh, and he has what he's got around him, like they're little minions. It's all the people who've ever suffered some sort of concussion or brain injury while on the ice Ooh. skating around. <laughs> See, I was I was thinking little <laughs> ornament minions that sort of fall off of him and they come underfoot and you step on them or something. Yeah, that works. That works too. It's fine. But I mean, this is gets us into something, right? Like, um, What's something that and if you don't want to like spill the beans entirely because you don't want to like blow your wad on this, I totally get it. But like, what's a design that you wish you could get done? Like, what's something that you should wish you could get accomplished or a product you could wish you could get made that you don't have out there right now? Well, right now, currently, I have an idea for the next sweater for Ghostbusters. I wanted a dynamic Ecto-1 diagonal sweater so it has asymmetrical sleeves and the Ecto-1 screaming through with the Ghostbusters logo diagonally underneath it. On the back, oh, nice. it's got uh, probably Ray blasting his Neutrona wand and has the, the beam coming out of it and that kind of divides that sweater in half diagonally on the back. So that that was that's the idea. I, you know, once I get the assignment to do another Ghostbusters sweater that'll be the one that I I pull out of the chamber and nice put it down on that's awesome yeah I, I like the idea that you have things sitting around like I'm gonna come back to this it may not get it now but I'll figure out how we'll get it later <laughs> oh yeah I mean I'm I'm deep in the research for golf sweaters for Snoopy so yeah <laughs> maybe coming soon to a Kroger near you who knows Hey, that's a great thing to consider for a second. What are some of the other products? What's some of the other IP that you work on? Because we didn't talk about that, really. Whew, uh, well, I think we're all the way up to 400 different licenses. So it is very numerous. But uh, definitely uh, horror is a big play for us. Uh, John Carpenter's Halloween, Friday the 13th, Nightmare on Elm Street, Trick or Treat. Um we actually did an interesting collaboration between a whole bunch of the horror properties, and I don't know if you've heard of Bloody Disgusting. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Yep. So, so we did a collab between each one of those brands, and that came out to Spencer's. So we're we're gonna do more of those. Um, big play for us is also anime. So, gotcha. Uh, Naruto was huge for us. One Piece is huge for us. Uh, Death Note. I guess Death Note is still pretty much up there. Uh, we're really building on our music licenses right now as well. Um, originally, you know, we had Aaliyah and Death Row Records, but we've been picking up uh, some of the older classic rock IPs, uh, Aerosmith, Pink Floyd, uh, Blondie, you know, s- classic stuff, you know, because that's one area that we really do want to try and develop into is, you know, Spencer's and Hot Topic has this whole music section in the back and it's just like, yep, we got nothing out of that. So yeah. I mean, Hot Topic is where I bought band t-shirts when I was in high school. It's weird and creepy to think about it, but I'm like in my forties. And when I was a teenager, (laughs) when I wasn't going into New York city to go look for stuff, I was going to the Hot Topic at the mall and buying Nirvana shirts and descendant shirts and no effect shirts and things. And so it's like so much of their, um, so much of what they do, you know, is actually tied up in apparel like that. And I just find mm-hmm. it fascinating because some of those shirts they offer at Hot Topic are the same shirts they offered when I was shopping there. Yeah, they just don't <laughs> have the Jinko jeans anymore. I don't know what no. Happened, yeah, that were the bondage pants. That was the other thing. Yeah. Like 
you know, the Jinko jeans, bondage pants, uh, slap bracelets. Think, no, that was a different point in time. But <laughs> I think wallet chains are coming back. I think they're actually, they do have wallet chains. Yeah. Yeah. Well, it's like a weird, like 20 to 30 year cycle. You know, everything has to sort of come back when we, I think when we were in the nineties, the things from the seventies were like the things that were coming back. And like that 70s show was the thing that kind of took off and began to sort of have a resurgence. And it was like, once you got to the two thousands, everything from the eighties was coming back. And so I feel like mm-hmm. now that we're in like, you know, the 2020s, everything from the two thousands is about to come back. We just finished being yep. done with the things from the nineties. And so get ready. Cause like you're going to see all kinds of street boy shirts. Yeah. <laughs> you can say that and Y two K throwback designs. Mm-hmm. <laughs> that is, that is a whole category of trend. We have is Y two K it's an aesthetic. So yeah. <laughs> For sure. Yeah. And you are totally right about the 20 to 30 year cycle of trends. So Jinko jeans, like I said, is in my theory, it is a reaction to bell bottoms. It is the echo of the bell bottoms. Right. And yeah. so I'm just waiting for the echo of whatever Jinko is, you know, flirts or something like that. I don't know. The echo of the echo of Jinko jeans is um, it's a tent. It's just like two, <laughs> it's a tent you wear below your waist. And you can just like set it up and sleep underneath it if you need to, because it's a denim hoop skirt. <laughs> That's kind of, look, it's kind of weird to think about this, but like in the 80s, everybody was so into the 50s in Greece. Right. I right. can't remember like the number of people I knew who like, you know, went like not what probably like a sixth or seventh grade, like girls who would go to a sock hop dance in mm-hmm. your school who'd show up in poodle skirts like now you wouldn't see that happening at all. No, <laughs> thanks, Billy Joel. Yeah. Yeah. I think that's who we have to blame for that. That in <laughs> Greece. Yeah. John Travolta. John Travolta. It's your fault. Well, I know fault. you guys were talking about Back to the Future last week, and I was just thinking about it like, well, if they do reboot Back to the Future, they'd be going back to the 90s, wouldn't they? <laughs> they would. That's why I don't want them to do it. I just feel old now. Turn to dust. Be, if they did, it would be like, Oh, look, everyone has a pager. (laughs) (laughs) Check out my car phone. It only costs $40 a month. Right. (laughs) And people would have slap bracelets. That would Mm. be a thing. Those would be back for some reason. What just Um, came over on the fax machine? (laughs) Yes. Hey, that's one of those things. That's one of those things that's aged poorly about that movie is that there was an assumption in the year 2015, we'd still be using fax machines. Oh, no one's doing that. Now. <laughs> right. <laughs> <laughs> and I think that if they went back in time, they did that now and like they had to do it. They'd be like, they wouldn't make a food dehydrator rehydrator. They'd be like the air fryer. <laughs> 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 Everyone has an air fryer now. This is crazy. <laughs> because it kind of is it became like the appliance that for some reason the air fryer and the instant pot they are the everyone has things we got everyone has a mobile television studio in your pocket (laughs) what do you mean the the billionaire the influencer he's the president the (laughs) real estate mogul with the bad hair (laughs) right yeah, this is why I don't want them to reboot it. As much as we're joking about it, I'm like, no, leave it alone. Leave it alone. Don't do not do this to it, for God's sake. Please just leave it alone. Oh, you know you want to see Kate McKenna as Emma Brown. No, I'm good. I'm, I'm, no? I'm totally good. No? I'm like, and, that's, and that's no shade of Kate McKinnon. I just don't want them to mess with that universe. We don't need it. Nah, it's perfectly fine. Leave it alone. Besides, Doc, Doc's kids would have to show up and be like completely out of time. Like, hello, we're from the 1800s. Um... We were riding around on this train through time and space, but 
um, let's make science. That, that I don't. I feel like if you did it, this. All right, we'll we'll move, put a pin in this, and then we'll move on from before we give people terrible ideas. But I feel like if they made a sequel to that movie, the first thing that would happen would people would try to figure out if those kids were in the movie. The same way that everybody who like hears about a Ghostbusters sequel is like, is Oscar in it? <laughs> like, mm-hmm. and you're like, did those kids in Back to the Future three even have names? I, I'm not uh, sure that they Jules, did. Jules and Vern. Yes. They oh, did you're right. Names. They did. You're right. They're named after Jules Vern. And I forgot. So, mm-hmm. yeah, and that would be the thing. Like, sure. are Jules and Vern in it? Is that who's going to be the Doc Brown in this one? <laughs> and make sure they're pointing in appropriate places. Yes, not. Uh, I'm glad you know about that. And for those who don't know, if you ever pay attention to that scene, one of those kids really needs to use the bathroom uh, and is like pointing at his crotch to like sort of signal to people like I need to use the restroom during the shot, which is really weird. It's like the end of Teen Wolf. One of those moments, you know. Oh, uh, one thing I wanted to mention was uh, Cruel Summer. My gosh, Bananarama and Cruel Summer. That first teaser trailer. It put me right into Karate Kid territory. <laughs> it 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 jarred me so hard. I was, it and it forced an idea into my head that Sony, if you're listening, this is gold. Ghostbusters meets Karate Kid. Yeah. Because why did Daniel Larusso move from New Jersey in 1984? Could it be that ghosts were haunting him? Could it be? <laughs> The spirit of his recently deceased father was tormenting his mother, so she had to get out of there and move to Reseda. <laughs> okay, I'm going to then extend this even further and say you cross it over with gremlins, too, because then you can be like, look, the reason Phoebe Cates was so upset about her grandfather, about her father dying in the chimney is because he also became a ghost. Mm-hmm. <laughs> Everybody's just but, a ghost. But no, you're kind of right. Like 84 has all this stuff going on in it and you really could do like a, a Karate Kid Ghostbusters theme crossover. I'll be honest. That to me is more logical than a Transformers Ghostbusters crossover. I'll just say it. <laughs> it's less toyetic, but yeah, no, it, it makes sense. It's See, fine. My, Action figures. It's cool. <laughs> yeah, right, right. See, my vision for it is that the ghosts that they're facing off against, they they know martial arts. So, of course, they come in and they sweep the leg. And of course, that is the Ghostbusters <laughs> one weakness is falling on their back because like a turtle ghostbusters fall on their back and they can't get up again. So that's, I mean, that's part of the, the ghostbusters pattern of the movies. You know, they meet up with the big bad and they fall over on their backs. And I, I know that's, that's Bill Murray's uh, least favorite part of the ghostbusters franchise. And that's why in afterlife, it cracked me up when, you know, they fall down because they're knocked back by Gozer, but they sit up and they're leaning against the Ecto-1. Yeah. Because that was that was the thing, because, like, if you think about it, if you're shooting a movie, talent come, you know, all the technical stuff is happening, talent comes from their trailer, they come on set, they hit their mark, then all the camera stuff have to, has to happen, the focus, the lighting, and all that stuff. So they have to be standing on their mark where they are, not moving. So if your mark is, I've been knocked over by Vigo, and now I'm on my side or on my back, my head is dangling beyond the <laughs> proton pack. So I'm going to get right. a huge crick in my neck and they're just going to be like, all right, okay, action, build, say something <laughs> funny, make ad lib something genius. And, and I can see just like 28 takes of that. That could get really old really fast. And it, 
if if you're an old guy, you know, you negotiate, okay, I'm coming back, but when I get knocked over, I got to be propped up against something. Prop me up against I, a tree or the ecto or something. I'm kind of interested to see um, how much he's going to put on a proton pack in the new movie. Like, we know that Janine is not going to, and we've already been given the tease that she's going to have this whatever it is, this wrist weapon she has or this oh, hand-mounted miniature proton pack. Yes. Yeah. Whatever it is that we haven't quite gotten an explanation of yet, but we think is probably that, um, you know, that to me is kind of funny that she got that treatment and she sort of talked about it when she was interviewed where she said, they didn't even try and put me in a proton pack. <laughs> like, but nope. it makes me wonder how much Bill's wearing one in the movie. Um, I'm kind of like, I'll just say it. I'm kind of almost surprised that he's, gonna be on scene like on on scene for the ghost busting because my running joke was that they could simply have him make a zoom call <laughs> like yeah he could be in Cortland and <laughs> be like six seven hours away by car and be like hey guys what's going on yeah and he just shows up in a zoom chat like talking about the problem and then goes away and then shows up at the end of the movie like I'm here and I brought some weapon we need <laughs> you know but yeah <laughs> I'm sure there's a, there were two versions of the script for Frozen Empire, one where they had Bill Murray involved and one where they didn't. And just like <laughs> on that day, they're just like, oh, well, maybe Bill will show up. Maybe not. I don't know. And then he shows up and like, oh, OK, we're going to do this version of the movie. <laughs> I'm excited he's there, though. I mean, it, I think that he's more into being into Ghostbusters now than he was like years ago. It's kind of funny, but oh, like, for sure. I think that he's more on board with being part of Ghostbusters now than he was during Ghostbusters 2. And I think it's fascinating if you go back and look at the news articles that existed around when Ghostbusters 2 was being produced, where he's like saying, yeah, we're working on Ghostbusters 2, although I can't imagine that's what we're going to call it. <laughs> and then he's like, yeah, that's why the last one of these will do. And you're like, OK, cool. Like, and so it's sort of weird to go back and look at that as a lens into sort of his psyche at that point in time about, you know, sequels and things he was doing. Now he's like, yeah, sure. I'll show up. Why not? Let's do it. So, well, he's in between Wes Anderson projects. So yeah, sure. Yeah. You know, well, if, if, if we're to be told what we heard from Jason Reitman and Gil Kennan, there's some Wes Anderson influence in this Ghostbusters movie. So it all makes Ooh. sense. <laughs> See, a, a fever dream that I had was a Wes Anderson movie where it was stop motion animation ghosts and the proton beams were made out of stop motion yarn coming out and <laughs> I tried to put that into a uh, into mid journey. It didn't come out as well as I looked. Hoped. I think that it's reasonable to assume that this could have some vibes that are not quite that Wes Anderson. But in terms of its pre-production and planning, we know very well because Jason uh, Reitman and Gil Cannon have talked about this, that part of the way they've storyboarded Afterlife and this movie was to sit down with action figures. <laughs> <laughs> So much like in the sense that, you know, if you look at a Wes Anderson movie, he is essentially creating a dollhouse with his characters. And he does that. And the pre-production is sort of like making a dollhouse for his characters and figure out what he wants to do. In some senses, I like feel like Jason Reitman and Gil Kennan are like, OK, we need to get the Hasbro firehouse from the from <laughs> my mom's basement right, or something. <laughs> and uh, yep, I got my Ecto-1 toys. Yeah, no, let's get a new one because it's complete. We'll just get it down at the Walmart. Like, so if they were using the Fright Features toys, they'd be like, okay, yeah. Dan, right now we need you to, your head to go up and your eyes to stretch <laughs> really tall. Yes. Yes. Like that's, <laughs> if they get too dangerous, like if they end up pulling out like, you know, the male fraud figure 
And they're like, oh, well, well this is a great idea. We got to put a mailman ghost in the movie. <laughs> like, <laughs> <laughs> well, I mean, that, that's how it was with the uh, the ghosts run amok uh, montage in Afterlife, right? The the one eyeball ghost was uh, yeah, Jason Reitman's favorite toy ghost. as a kid. Yeah, bug eye. Yeah. yeah. Yep. Yeah. So, I mean, it can happen at this point. It's been made an established piece of canon that if you love a toy enough, it can end up in the Ghostbusters movie as a character. <laughs> you can manifest it. So now what your job has to be is you have to figure out how to make a T-shirt beloved enough <laughs> that it has to show up. <laughs> Use my powers for good. Yes. <laughs> <laughs> Look, I'm not saying you got to come up with 15 different variations on the repossessed logo. <laughs> start putting that on stuff hats socks scarves everything backpacks yeah yeah you know socks. there's a lot but that's like one of the things i'm excited about is that the new movie is going to have a lot of different little references like that i even know people now who are making their own versions of like you know the posters that are in the movie for the bands that apparently play down at uh raise a cult and stuff and so I would love to see like some Ripple Junction, like officially licensed apparel that took some of the band, you know, paraphernalia that exists in the movie and made it into a shirt, you know, like kind of taking the prop replica sense of mm -hmm. something. And the way that you have the raise a cult shirt, right, the kind of like is in universe represents something and is a almost like a little bit of a deep cut for Ghostbusters fans, right? That like mm -hmm. not or every person's going to get what it is. Yeah, like, I mean, I think if you wear a Raise a Cult shirt and you're out talking to an average person, they're like, oh, are you in witchcraft? <laughs> like, they may not know <laughs> that it's a Ghostbusters shirt. And like, I have a Raise a Cult shirt that I got that's unlicensed that has an unlicensed version of Dan Aykroyd's face on it. But that otherwise <laughs> would like probably not know that that's a thing that, that's a raise, that Raise a Cult is Ghostbusters unless you're really a hardcore fan. But I would love to see more in-universe stuff like that. It would be really cool. So I don't know. Just throwing that out there. <laughs> I'll keep it in mind. Uh, I, I don't know if we're going to get anything from Sony on that stuff, but uh, I'll, I'll pull out my camera when I'm in the theater and take some shots and maybe redraw it. Yeah. I mean, I think the repossessed thing is going to be, uh, I think that's one of the most fascinating things I in the new movie is this notion mm -hmm. that podcast is going to teach Ray about the internet. Right. Well, it's, it's a natural development for podcast character. It's, you know, he he's moved on to video podcasts now. Yeah. But I love this notion that like Ray, who's a guy who runs an old dead tree print bookstore and who clearly has had computers that have floppy drives, because that's what we see in the R&D lab is like old IBM's that have floppy drives in them. And you're like, well, you got what you guys couldn't find a Dell. What's the story? Uh, <laughs> but <laughs> like, I, I want to see this sort of television show or Instagram show, this viral video show they're going to do and see it kind of like get its own in universe merch, like would be kind of cool to me. So mm -hmm. I don't know. I, I would love to see more of that kind of stuff from designs that are coming out but like i think you guys are doing an amazing job you have so many cool things that you have out there already and i'm so eager to see what you have coming down the pike on the horizon so oh it's um, so fun to work on this stuff it's such a privilege uh to to be kind of a steward of this brand that i've loved since i was you know six years old and i'm i have to say this like i'm excited that you and i got to talk about this because i can now feel like when i see a ripple junction shirt in the wild. I can be like, Oh, it's made by somebody who loves this stuff. <laughs> like, 
Yes. <laughs> <laughs> right, like, oh, this, this is somebody who I, I know who makes this stuff because they love what they're doing and not just like, oh, I got to make a T-shirt for some movie that sucks. It's some Tuesday. Movie. <laughs> I'm out here making T-shirts for Iron Eagle. <laughs> I'm don't, out don't here. mess up those Iron Eagle fans. Too. I got to make some Louis Gossett Jr. T-shirts. <laughs> for the less beloved air movie of the 80s than Top Gun ho hum <laughs> what am I going to do for my 150th Airboat shirt I'm not quite sure <laughs> yeah I, I see that it's good that you're out there doing IP you like as opposed to yes. doing IP you don't well, that's when it's not a job, you know? Yeah, but I but it's cool, though. Like you get to have this opportunity to take something you love and to sort of add to the lore in the sense that like you can create logos, you can create artwork, etc. And it's something that we all, you know, get to rep um, as fans who love this stuff, go out and buy it. I think it's important for us to kind of know where it comes from and know that it comes from a place of love and not just from a place of like, hey, a company's making money on logos, you know, and that's. One of the things I love about the Ripple Junction stuff that you all have out is that it shows a level of creativity and engagement and trying to go beyond just like, here's a Moogly. (laughs) Here you go. It's merchandise made for fans by fans. So, yeah. Yeah, it's great. So I wish you all a ton of luck with this uh, upcoming uh, release of the Frozen Empire line. And folks out there listening, don't forget, go over to uh, RippleJunction.com and make sure you sign up for the newsletter. Get your 10% off. Order some cool shirts that David has made. Uh, and uh, while you're there, make sure you enter the contest to uh, try and win some sweaters or to get that metal pack of uh, shirts because they're really awesome. Yeah, thanks so much for having me on, Jim. It's been a pleasure. No, pleasure's mine. I'm really glad we got to finally meet. Um, and uh, by all means, like when you have stuff that's going on, if you have more things that are coming up down the pike, come back and visit us again soon. I'm sure we'll have something for the 40th anniversary. Uh, we haven't heard anything from Sony because I'm sure they're a little bit busy right now. But after March, I'm sure they'll be sending something out to us and we'll have a 40th anniversary collection. You're going to create a T-shirt that has a cake on it that lights up. <laughs> UV reactive ink where the, the candle is light and slider pops out of the cake. That's yeah. it. That's it. Yep. This is the experimental things that are going to be happening. And it'll also come in sweater form, but you won't be able to wear it for Christmas. You'll only be able to wear it for the 40th anniversary. <laughs> yes, please. Please do not wear the sweaters to the June 8th celebration in, in New York. You will die of heat stroke. <laughs> and don't wear the red parka for no. sure. And don't wear the sweater under the red parka because then you're just doomed. <laughs> Then you're just drenching that sweater in sweat. Yeah. Yeah. Well, that's what it's called. It's a sweater. I'm done now. (laughs) Yeah. You get it wet. It's going to shrink, though, unfortunately. Yeah. Don't do that. (laughs) Well, (laughs) thank you again, David. And we hope to talk to you again soon. This has been a lot of fun. Great. Uh, Yeah. Uh, Thanks for having me on again. And I guess I'll end by saying a death is but a door. Time is but a window. I'll be back. (laughs) we hope so take care David 
that about wraps things up for Extra Plasma this week. I want to say thank you one more time to David Miyakawa for coming on the show and enlightening us a bit about what Ripple Junction's been up to, for sure, but also telling us quite a bit about, you know, sort of how licensed Ghostbusters apparel gets made. Uh, I felt like this was not just, you know, an entertaining conversation to have with David, but also a very informative one. And I hope that he'll come back and share with us more in the future because uh, it was really interesting and really compelling, you know, to sort of hear about the way that these products get produced. Uh, I also want to say thank you as usual to Brendan Pierce of Baducci Studios, who produces our logo and serves as, you know, sort of steward of our visual identity. And I say that because I had to reach out to Brendan this week to ask him to make a small tweak to the logo for something I'm trying to produce in advance of the premiere. And I just want to say an extra thanks to Brendan this week because he very quickly dropped everything and said, sure, sure, yeah, sure, let me help you, even though uh, he totally did it pro bono once again. So thank you, Brendan, for being an awesome contributor and a great friend of the show. And of course, I want to say thank you as usual to Vaporwave artist Magnavox, whose version of Ghostbusters serves as our uh, theme song each week. And last but not least, thank you to you for listening, for contributing. It's been great to hear from you all in the last few weeks as we're all getting very excited for the new movie. Uh, I know that some of you I've heard from are messaging me to see if I'm going to see you in New York because you're going, etc. If you are out there and you're going off to the premiere and you want to connect with me before you go to sort of figure out where people are going to be, maybe make some plans to meet up, etc. Don't hesitate to reach out at Extraplasm on Instagram, on Facebook, uh, Extraplasm Podcast there, obviously. Uh, X, you can find me at Extraplasm, extraplasmpodcast at gmail.com, all the great places. And of course, uh, you can pick up episodes of Extraplasm or check out recent Kitchen Counter reviews over at www.youtube.com slash at extraplasm. So that about does it for this week. We're almost there. We're just, you know, a few weeks away from seeing this movie. And for those of us going to the premiere, we're less than two weeks away from seeing this movie, which is crazy. Have a great week, everybody. And remember, as Ernie Hudson says every week, try to have fun and always keep on busting. Take care. <laughs>